Cork are in serious trouble. In the Munster Championship, they're going to get beaten. They're going to get beaten early. And when the Cork crowd turn against them, they turn so harsh. The Football Pod is available every Tuesday exclusively on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. It is half past seven. You're welcome along to OTB AM. We're with you all the way through until 10 o'clock as ever, Monday to Friday. We'll have reaction to another mental weekend of sport over the course of the next couple of hours. We've got the Six Nations, the FA Cup, the Premier League, uh, the National Leagues, the Formula One. A lot of uh, exciting stuff happening across all of those. And whatever caught your eye, we'd love to hear about this morning. You can tweet us at Off The Ball or comment on the YouTube stream if that's where you're getting us. Tommy Rooney is uh, beaming in live from lovely Clare this morning. How are you getting on, Tommy? Oh, and good morning. How are you? Yeah, very well, very well. A busy weekend. You were at the big one yesterday. Oh, yes. I uh, spent my afternoon at Mead and Clare and Ennis. What's Cusick Park like on a, on a beautiful Sunday afternoon in, in the National League? It's, uh, it's it, like, one of the most underrated grounds, I, I dare say. Yeah, well, I hadn't realised that James O'Donoghue uh, picked it as his favourite ground to play with. Mm. Now, speaking to a couple of Clare people, when an opposition player picks your ground as their favourite ground, it's never not a great sign. sign. No. Yeah, it's not. Um, surprisingly, I was the only one in the stadium yesterday wearing a half-and-half half jersey. Half meat strip <laughs> on one side, half Clare on the other. Um, a lot of people... Now, I don't know what you're like when you're at a National League game. I can imagine... The excitement in Mayo or Armand Kerry yesterday had kept your attention throughout. But I'd be one for checking scores in the other games as the game was going on. Now, a lot of people yesterday in Cusick Park were listening to the hurling. Claire and Galway were on at the same time. And it just kind of struck me that I know I know it must be difficult to schedule it, but for you know, Claire football to capture the attention, it's next to impossible when the hurlers are in action to go away at the same time. Um now, while the result of yesterday's game the way results have fallen in Division 2, I don't think it's it's, it's that big a deal for either or. Um, it went down to the wire. Wasn't the greatest game of football, only from, to be honest with you, they both kind of cancelled each other out a little bit. It ended up being 10-9 in the end. A lot of drama at the end, but uh, you could hear the radios playing in the background throughout yesterday in Cusick Park, uh, listening to the hurling. Mead won is uh, the, the big story here. Uh, they, mm. they, got, they got the job done. They're safe. They're going to be staying up. That's That's the trajectory here. Uh, like I, I would, I would offer that if there are people in the football stadium checking the hurling scores, then I mean it's a good sign for football. They could have just gone to the hurling game instead. No, one hundred percent. Well, like in Clare, the people of West Clare are massively into football, so a huge cohort of the support there would have been from one side of the county. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's a pretty natural thing. Like I, I can't help myself. I'm always checking the scoreboard after in the game, trying to get get a read on who's playing. What was the excitement like? after you had travelled up. I know you had travelled from Dublin as part of the Kerry Mafia, but had a lot of Kerry people travelled up from Tralee and Clarny and Dingle and other parts of the county up to the Atlantic Grounds? Like, was there a big Kerry support? There was, yeah. Yeah, there was, there was a good crowd around. It was, I think someone said it was, was 11,000 people at, at the Athletic Grounds wow. yesterday. I'd never been to the Athletic Grounds. It's a, a great location. Not too dissimilar to Cusick Park insofar as that you've got that kind of covered terrace which just creates this mm. uh, wall of sound on one side of the park and I think that if there's one thing that gets people more excited than a little bit of needle in the game than I haven't found it, especially in the National League when maybe the stakes aren't that high I, I think that sometimes the stakes in the National League 
are at its highest when you've got two relegation threatened teams, especially in Division One, yes. going head to head. Whereas maybe uh, the actual incentive to win yesterday wasn't wasn't as great as it might have been in some of the other games, for example. But what really turns the temperature up is when there is that little bit of needle when uh, you have, I don't know, some fella on the back of another fella or a, a, a cynical <laughs> pull down. Or uh, I, I, I said it to the people around me at the time. I was like, there is going to be, uh, there was a chance here of a brawl in the tunnel at halftime. It was just ratcheting wow. up nicely right before halftime. And sure enough, just as they were going into the tunnel at halftime, there was a bit of pushing and shoving. And I think Mike Quirk uh, said to his players, listen, you hang here. You go into the tunnel first, Arma, and let's just forget this nonsense and uh, get this over and done with. And it didn't escalate into anything more. Uh, but that sort of setting down a marker, not being uh, pushed around, that, that uh, nature to, to Gaelic games definitely uh, doesn't not exist when it comes to, to, to the National League. And, and that was definitely there yesterday. And like, What about in the stadium? Was there any jostling going on between fans? No. You know, was there any needle? I know you've had you know, your issues before being below in Castlebar and Mayo at league games where, you know, uh, a, bit of, a bit of needle might set in none no, of that no idea what sort of uh, issues you'd be talking about on that front but no absolutely not they're, they're, they were lovely people yesterday Armad because they were on the losing side I'm sure I'd be sitting here this morning <laughs> saying that they're horrible fans had they uh, you know, been celebrating a win because that would be a disgraceful thing to do as a fan to be happy after watching your team winning a game so no they were, they, were, they were good yesterday hospitable the there was a lot of chatter yesterday um, online especially about David Clifford embracing superstardom now maybe a lot of chatter means that i tweeted something like that that he's somebody who like he celebrates his goals and there's a couple of people putting out excerpts from david byrne who wrote game of my life the Kerry mm. book put out, put out excerpts up from it like and i'll, I'll get the kieran donahue quote here in a second but what was the excitement like in this in the stadium when you heard that david clifford is in the 26 because you know sean o'shea is missing with a toe injury um it looked like the Kerry team that was released on friday night we're missing a couple of key players. Potty Clifford was out. Um, you know, Jack Savage and Tony Brosnan were starting once more. They played really well in, in Tralee against Mayo, the two of them. But when Clifford is named, number 10 on his back, but he's brought into the 26 at the last minute, is there an excitement? Is there a bit of, ooh, great. Yeah, it's going to be worth the trip. Definitely interesting. The, the, the celebration thing is is, uh, is a good talking point. You, you mentioned the David Byrne uh, extract mm. there from, from his book. Uh does David Clifford need to get a better celebration, though? I mean, the the arms outstretched. It's it, like when he did it first. I was like, right, is this is he actually going around to just make sure that he's making himself as big as possible for the resulting kickout, or is this actually the, the celebration? Because I because kind of Cantonesque. Yeah, it kind of was. I, I hadn't really kind of seen it before. Uh, like it was, it was quite conspicuous yesterday. It was like, oh, that that is an actual uh, reaction to to that goal, and he's he's kind of. Um, Certainly dragging this out in terms of a celebration. So I wonder if he's going to mm. like—is he going to do a Luke Ayling next week and try and replicate Robbie oh. Keane or something like that? Yeah, like do you know what? He's going to be scoring goals. So he's going to have to think about it. Well, I read out the Kieran Donahue quote from that. Yeah, yeah, go for it. In my life, um, so Donahue's talking about how, especially down in Limerick, down in in twenty in twenty fourteen in the semi final, that the crowd made such a massive difference in that game that you could just feel it. Even when the game was swinging away from them, the crowd would pull you back into it, and how he always played off the crowd. And you could see that when Kieran Donahue played football. Hmm. He said he would have struggled to play during the pandemic, given the fact that there was no crowds out there. But he said that he pulled David Clifford aside when he first came into the scene and said, Dave, celebrate your goals because you're going to be an icon for the next number of years. If you get that big goal and you celebrate with the crowd, they will give you more energy and give everyone a lift. And like that, that is absolutely a factor because when Clifford scores... There's a collective roar from the Kerry people because they know there's an anticipation when he receives the ball in his hands that he's going to do something special. And there's a bit like, 
do you know when with most of their players there's an element of chance that he may miss and even if Clifford does miss everyone knows it's a freak and he's going to end up scoring one four, one five, eight points anyways yeah um it just has to give that extra bit of buzz when you've got a marquee player like that. And obviously they're going to key point there being that he was up against a Kieran Donaghy coach team yesterday. Mm. Donaghy, by the way, very involved in the warm-up, I must say, like took, okay. took, took the warm-up himself. Very, uh, a lot of simple hand-passing drills and the game was... Game was delayed by ten minutes. I'm not quite sure why that was because we were there. It was like every, everybody's in the stadium, nobody's coming in. I'm not sure that like are we sure that that wasn't to do with the the GPA standoff? That there was a situation of pushing the game back. I was wasn't there some suggestion mm. last week that there could have been uh, an attempt to to disrupt some broadcast? I don't, that wasn't the, the suggestion. The suggestion was that there was people coming in late, but certainly everybody yeah. was in come come two o'clock yesterday and they still waited till ten past two. So it was an extra long warm up basically for our uh, and 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 Donny was right down in front of us doing it. Um, but no, I, well, I do. when did the when did the mafia get word that Clifford was in? Uh, well, like we were speaking to his dad beforehand, and you kind of got this. He, he said he didn't know. He said he didn't know okay. what the crack was, but there was definitely a sense that uh, um, there, was, there was a chance that he had travelled all right, uh, which, which okay. was a bit different. But um, no, I mean, like I think that's that, that's that's interesting what you're saying there about the, the celebration. Like because mm. he was an Ulster as well yesterday. I would say Ulster, the kings of the gold celebration, whether it's uh, Joe Brawley blowing kisses to the crowd or uh, still my favourite celebration in, uh, in, in GEA is when Ronan O'Neill dabbed after scoring a goal in, in Crow Park that one time which which I think is the next level I think David Clifford needs to dab next time he scores a goal and uh, then all of a sudden uh, we're away with this thing and I, I think we should embrace this I think you know let, let no quick kickouts. Let the, let the referee encourage players to go celebrate and then get the kickouts underway and uh, let, let's, let's create a brave new world just on celebrations, because if David Clifford does dab, everyone is going to be dabbing after that. But the other thing is, you are seeing a lot of celebrations, especially in home games. And this is the beauty of the league. And we're going to get into it in a few minutes. Celebrations into the terrace. Tony Brosnan did it when he got his goal in Tralee. Celebrated into the Kerry fans behind the goal. Did you see the Dublin steward at the weekend at the Hill? Yeah, yeah. Love and life. Anthony, love and life. Bloody celebrating, going nuts anytime uh, Dublin got a score into the Hill. Anthony Moyles has a bone to pick with him a little later on. Yeah, well, Anthony Moyles is going to be with us uh, in the 8 to 9 hour this morning. You're with us here on OTBAM, which is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, let's tell you what's coming up over the course of the next couple of hours. The performance rankings are on standby. Alan Quinlan will be with us at 10 past 8 to reflect on a crazy weekend in the Six Nations. Ireland are Grand Slam champions at under 20 level, they won the Triple Crown at senior level, and Wales beaten by Italy as England asked questions about their head coach. So plenty to ponder with Alan Quinlan at 10 past 8. Brian Kerr at 25 past 8 reacting to the weekend's football. Sports news coming your way at 25 to 9 with Cahill. Anthony Moyles, as Tommy's already plugged there, is coming your way at 10 to 9. Mark Lawrence and looking back on the FA Cup in the Premier League at 10 past 9. And then more Six Nations reaction coming your way at half past 9 this morning. Now, get ready to cheer Ireland on in the TikTok Women's Six Nations. To launch this year's campaign, we're giving away two tickets to see Ireland take on Wales on Saturday, the 26th of March at quarter to five in the RDS Arena. The lucky winners will also be entered into a draw to be in with a chance to win an overnight stay in the stunning Intercontinental Hotel on the night of the game. To enter this competition, tell us what do you think the score will be this weekend between Ireland and Wales, or wherever you're watching this morning's OTBAM, just comment on Twitter or on Facebook or on YouTube. International Women's Rugby is at the RTS, and there is nothing like it. Be part of the action. Get your tickets at ticketmaster.ie. Performance rankings. 
You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on their second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. That performance is just lacked that intensity. Well, as we do here every morning, every Monday morning on OTBAM, we go through the good, the bad and the grand of the weekend's sport. As you can see on screen, we've got uh, a couple of interesting talking points here, Tommy, in the red, in the bad, a couple mm. of uh, terrible, terrible performances over the course of the weekend. And in there at number five is a story that we've been covering for quite some time here on the show. We have been uh, watching the highs and the lows of the Welsh rugby team. We brought you news last year of Welsh fans projectile vomiting all over the Principality Stadium. And that wasn't even after a terrible, terrible loss. And I wonder where the projectile vomiting fans are this morning after watching their team getting beaten <laughs> by Italy. Italy, the team we wanted kicked out of the Six Nations. We wanted to make this a Five Nations. We wanted promotion, relegation. We wanted Georgia in instead of Italy. That Italy have beaten your Wales uh, in a fairly humbling moment for your team. We, like, I mean, we should say that uh, this is actually the story of, of Italy, to be quite honest with you. This is this, the story of uh, an, an amazing last gasp try, uh, a, a brilliant emotional moment for the, the, the rugby people of Italy. Phenomenal commentary from, from the Italian commentator, which we, which we might bring you uh, in, in a little while, and just a great moment. But it is also kind of the story of Wales. It is absolutely the story of Wales, especially here this morning on OTBAM on Anyone who knows our, I suppose, jousts and battled with Wales Online over the weekend would have been tuning in. I'm sure we've got a lot of fans here this morning hate-watching already, but to do so without mentioning Italy, it was difficult not to put Italy up on screen this morning because, my God, the scenes at the final whistle. The scenes once that conversion went over, because I think, not that there was any chance that the conversion wouldn't have been nailed, but... You couldn't let the emotion out. It was nearly like a VAR goal being scored. The fact that they were still a point down. Um, I'm seeing there that, uh, you know what, I don't have the Italy audio ready. I should have had the Italy audio ready this morning. It was absolutely sensational, the commentary of that try. Um, Padovani touched it down right under the posts. But it was a Capuzzo who who broke the fullback, who broke through the line, that insane break. Uh, it was just, it was unbelievable. Like, and it makes it, I don't know, like... Uh, Especially in the year that's in it, in the last couple of years. Um, actually, yeah, no, especially in the last couple of years, Italy and their place in the Six Nations has been a question so much. I don't know. Like, I don't know whether you think there should be a chance that they're out of it, but it was amazing to see uh, those scenes at the weekend. Yeah, uh, I, I was uh, at the Ireland match on Saturday, but even around Balls Bridge beforehand, um, I was just kind of meeting somebody and it was just this massive roar two massive roars from the pub across the road and, and he just had to kind of uh, run over and actually uh, get the, the fact that, the, find out what was actually happening and uh, it was just this, this this joyous moment that every rugby fan wanted to see over over the last little while. Like you, you mentioned there that it is kind of like a VAR-like moment uh, Kieran Crowley, relatively stoic when uh, they actually uh, when, when they actually um, scored a try and then uh, the, the, the conversion uh, obviously is the, the, the key moment and I think we can actually bring you the commentary uh, of that great moment of uh, Italy's winning try. Giovanni Capuozzo. Prova ad andarsene Capuozzo, 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 Capuozzo! Bisognerà di farla 
Giovane di Capuozzo che alla fine del 3-22 è riuscito a servire Edoardo Pedovani che è meta degli azzurri Edoardo Pedovani il mio idolo 21 a 20 Yeah, Italy uh, in the green really this morning uh, and uh, it's, mm. uh, it's Wales who uh, have a, a dire Six Nations I think it's fair to say at the end of it all and um, I mean after last year where they looked like they were going to be the team who didn't really impress on paper and actually get the job done. It seems to have been quite a turnaround this year uh, from Wales, but I guess as form has sometimes shown us in the past, Wales come good on a World Cup year and uh, Ireland, for example, tend to fall flat. So it's going to be very, very interesting to see their graph over the next little while. Uh, we are going to come back to the rugby in just a moment elsewhere in the performance rankings, but we just want to uh, move on to Everton, who are also in the red after their FA Cup hammering at the hands of Crystal Palace yesterday. Like This was like a, possibly the definition of, of a sporting collapse, where they looked OK for uh, a good section of the game, for a quarter of the game, and then once they conceded that 25th-minute opener at uh, Crystal Palace, the whole thing just fell apart. They ended up losing 4-0, to Crystal Palace, and this has been a fascinating story to watch as well over the last little while. Yes, they've had that Alexander Awobi late winner the other night, and that may well be a, a crucial result for them in the, the grand scheme of things. The FA Cup is not going to be the thing that keeps Frank Lampard uh, and, and Everton happy or keep uh, give them uh, non-sleepless nights. They're currently in 25th on 25 points. Three points clear of the relegation zone uh, ahead of Watford. When they're back in Premier League action, that'll become more into view. Uh, but Frank Lampard, not a happy camper after yesterday's 400 hammering. Here's what he had to say. So much you can keep trying to butter someone up to give them confidence. There's a balance of confidence stroke. We're playing at the cutthroat end of football here. This is a quarterfinal today to get to Wembley. And if you haven't got the confidence to play, then I'll, you can quickly flip it and say, have you got the, um, the to play? Sorry, excuse me, but I can't, you know, that's, that's the football reality. Um, and if you fall somewhere in the middle, then don't worry about it because we didn't play that badly today and Palace didn't play that well today and we lost 4-0 because of a lack of confidence and a lack of what I just said. Yeah, uh, Frank Lampard questioning the balls of his team uh, after that yesterday, Tommy. He's also put a bit of pressure, not a bit of pressure, but he certainly looked back on some of the decisions that have been made at the club before he got there, mm. like I mean, he, he says it's a, a challenge because it's been there for for quite a long time before I got here, and um, like he doesn't have a, a magic wand to get inside people's heads and change the resilience across a whole squad. Is that the sort of thing that you feel will spur Everton on over the next little while, or do you think that it's a situation where they need the arm around the shoulder and be like, it's okay, losing four 0 to Crystal Palace actually isn't that bad a result? Yeah, it's very difficult to know because that ninety ninth minute winner late. Was the late Thursday night Alex Iwobi's winner was like that looked like the moment that might spark their season into place. Like that was such a huge result against Newcastle. You saw the celebrations afterwards. There's, there's a great video actually of Richarlison sprinting from the bench to join the celebrations. All the players together. A moment like that felt like the type of thing that might bring a season and kickstart a season, kickstart a new managerial reign. Has this been the worst manager's bounce that any manager has ever had going into a, a new club? Like Lampard just really hasn't got a tune out of them at all. Um, looking on yesterday I was kind of half thinking because they've been dragged into the relegation battle not that they threw the FA Cup quarter final or that they didn't turn up and try it but did it really matter to Everton that no. they weren't they, no, were, they didn't make it through they need to stay up in the Premier League this year the, the results does not matter uh, I guess in the when they're looking at what's going to be important to them at the end of the season but it is just another moment that 
exposes where they are as a team at the moment. And if you've got your manager coming out lambasting you after that, then it's it's not mm. a fantastic moment um, to be in. Like I mean, the, the next couple of fixtures are obviously huge. They play West Ham uh, yeah. after the international break, and then it's it's Burnley, uh, which is obviously a, a massive game. West Ham at the weekend just looks so tired and exhausted, and you want to be playing West Ham after Europa League game, for example, uh, after one of the Leon games, as opposed to after an international break. So that's actually a very, very tricky fixture for them. They have to play Manchester United, they have to play Liverpool, they have to play Chelsea, they have to play Arsenal, they have to go to Leicester City before the end of the they season. Were, Those are they the were due to play Watford this weekend, yeah. obviously, in a, in a six-pointer. Um, like, does the signing of a Wobie just sum up the, the misspent money at Everton and the mismanagement over the last couple of years? When you look at Arsenal's setup at the minute, how they cleared out so much deadwood and they are operating... With such a young team at the minute and playing so well, playing football in the way that Arteta wants to play. And then you realise that Everton spent the cuts of 40 million euros on Alex Iwobi a couple of years ago. As an Arsenal fan, was Iwobi, were you worried when Iwobi was leaving? Were you were you happy when they got that much from him? Uh, not at all. I, th- I think that you weren't worried whatsoever. I think that he kind of reached a, a point and it was, it was almost predictable that he was going to go to Everton. It was uh, that feeling. So he, well, he moved in well, 2019 three years mm-hmm. ago, he's 22, so there's obviously the, the uh, potential for him to go and explode uh, at, a, at a different club. And look, I mean, maybe Everton fans will say the, the last gas winner the other night is something that will uh, kickstart him, but I mean, it's uh, at the age of 25 now, you're kind of looking for a number of different kickstarts uh, to his career. So, no, it's been a bit of a flop, and it's probably a little bit of hindsight being 2020, but uh, there, was, there was certainly an element that you could probably see coming over the last little while that, that, that Iwobi wasn't going wasn't gonna to make it or wasn't going to repay that transfer fee. Uh, those are in the red this morning, Wales and Everton. Uh, we are putting Gaelic football this morning into the amber, Tommy. Why is that? We're putting Gaelic football into the amber because... I think it's very clear that we're playing our best competition at the worst time of the year. We are now coming into the final round of the leagues. I make it probably out of 32 counties. You've got about 24, 25 with something to play for. Um, all eight teams in Division 3 have something to play for, whether it be relegation or promotion at the weekend. Four teams in Division 4 can get promoted this weekend. Um, Mead and Clare are the only two teams in Division 2 that don't really have anything to play for now. And saying that, even Clare need to get a result of some sort, up and down. Um, down are already out. Carrier through to the league final, and they're likely to play either Mayo or Armagh, so maybe Carrier the only team that don't have something to play for in the final day. Kildare, Donegal, Tyrone, Dublin, Monaghan are all in relegation battles this weekend. Next weekend in the National Football League is going to be insanely competitive. It's going to be crazy. The one issue that we've got this weekend is that Tipperary and London are playing on Saturday night. If that game doesn't get moved to Sunday which is the same uh, it's 2 o'clock on Sunday, the same time as all the other Division 4 games, it means that Leitrim and Sligo on the Sunday will end up being a dead rubber if Tipperary beat London on Saturday night. That's the one issue we have with the league this weekend. It is a bloody brilliant competition. But Owen, it's been so difficult to get a read on form for the first four weeks of the season. Mm. It, they've been played in such terrible weather, um, horrendous winds, rain. I was obviously the definition of a fair weather fan complaining about the, the rain down in Tralee last weekend you're well used to being there in all sorts of conditions like if we could just flip it and put this competition to the summer I think we'd be, we would have the finest product of sport in the land like it is so competitive even Claire and Mead yesterday poor game of football both teams cancelled each other out but it went down to the wire and it was dramatic and that's all people care about whereas we're going to walk into a competition in three weeks time and yes, there's going to be headline games like Mayo-Galway. 
but there's going to be so many mismatches in the provincial championships already. And then when it gets to Talchin Cup, we're going to have the issues that we're seeing, which is that these games just aren't going to get the coverage. Unless there's a new media deal ripped up, unless there's games streamed live on YouTube or GABO, we're just not going to see enough of the games. But yeah, that's that's kind of how I feel this weekend. It's a bit of a poison chalice. The league is going to be over next week and it might be our, our most competitive Sunday of the entire year. Yeah, and like it has, even within all these conditions, been really good. Those conditions being bad weather, the fact that the incentive actually isn't overly there to win it for the top teams. Like as I said earlier on, I think that the atmosphere would actually be better at a ground where you've got two relegation threatened teams in Division 1 going up against one another as opposed to two teams chasing the league title because the league title like isn't all that important. Staying in Division 1 is more important than that. Getting those games consistently year after year is what teams want to get out of the league. That actually if you add in the fact that that could have been a race towards an All-Ireland title uh, in better weather as well, in the middle of summer, in bigger stadiums quite often when it comes to some of these counties, you'd have an even better version of what is already the best version of Gaelic football that we're getting. So I think what this does over the next little while is that it shows up maybe the decision that they came to last year not to to implement the the, the moving of the the league to the Mm. summertime. And, And I think it'll continue to show up the provincial championships in particular over the next little while because... What you've got is you've got these, these, these brilliant games over, over the, the next little while and then uh, obviously there's going to be a couple of hammerings dished out in the provincial championships and it's inevitable and it's obvious. And that is the, the true definition, I would say, of, of a dead rubber. The, the idea that you know exactly what the result is going to be before the game takes place. And that unfortunately is going to be the case for a lot of those fixtures that take place in the provincial championships. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Just to give a mention to a couple of games this coming weekend, Monaghan, Dublin. That's a relegation playoff in Monaghan. That is going to be a belter. Tyrone have to win in Kerry. Um, Kildare need to beat Mayo away from home. Shout out to Kildare, by the way. 24 points to put up against mm. Monaghan at the weekend. Um, and then in Division 2, Cork and Offaly, the losers go down. In Division 3, um, there's a lot of drama. I don't know if you saw it, but Fermanagh and Westmead drew at the weekend. one twelve to, or sorry, one nine to 12 points. But late in the second half, Sean Quigley got a ball. And I'm telling you, this ball went over the black spot. I'm not sure if you saw it, but the umpires flagged it wide. So Fermanagh now are in a bit of bother. They they should have had an extra point there. They should have actually probably beaten Westmead. I know other things might happen in the last 10 minutes. But in Division 3, Antrim and Loud are, are at the top. Westmead, Limerick and Fermanagh can also still make it into the into the promotion playoff for Division 2 next year, which is massive. Um, Longford, Leash and Wicklow are kind of all playing off to, to get out there. Cavan are in control in Division 4. Uh, as I said, Leitrim and Sligo, that's a, a bit of a provincial playoff for that final p- promotion slot. But if Tipperary get the job done against London, they're going to go up with Cavan. So a lot to play for this weekend in the National Football Leagues. Yeah, for sure. What's the what's the best uh, version of events you think that could that could happen in Division 1 over the course of the... This weekend, this is the, the the last weekend of it. What's um, what way do you see it going? Yeah, that's a that's a difficult one to predict. Um, like it's hard. I think Jack O'Connor is still going to pick a relatively strong Kerry team against Tyrone. I think he might rest a couple of players, but also you got to remember those Kerry players are playing for their position. So I'm not sure like Kerry are going to make anything easy for Tyrone this weekend um, as they travel down. They're they're in need of a win. Monaghan Dublin is going to be really, really interesting because we've started to see Dublin coming back into form. They really looked at home yesterday, a sunny afternoon in Crow Park. Niall Scully 
scored a brilliant goal. He went for goal himself, tried to chip the keeper from 40, 50 yards. Brian Ho- Howard was swinging over beauties with the outside of the boot. Brian Fenton was back in his groove. Um, James McCarthy was starting. Dublin looked really good yesterday. They were motoring really well. They really looked like the Dublin team that we've seen over the last couple of years. And then Monaghan, they've been one of the stories of the last decade, their ability to stay in Division 1 for so long with you know such small resources at their disposal. That was such a flat performance against Kildare. Kildare were, were well in control for the majority of that game. Conceding 24 points is massive. Monaghan could well be going down this weekend, but again, at home to Dublin, you never know what they might turn around. And a Mayo-Kildare is probably the game to watch. Mayo are trying to make it into a league final. When you say that some teams don't care that much about winning the National Football League, I agree. I think there's an element of, over the last couple of years, you've been seeing with Mayo, at certain stages in their development, some teams don't need to win the league. They just need to get, you know, battles into the system or get their players playing games where they might be up against their backs against the wall. I feel like Mayo could really do it winning the league this year. They've got the back-to-back All-Ireland Finals, which they've lost. They won a league a couple of years ago, was it back in 2019 about Kerry. I think for the development of this team, quite a young team, they need to experience winning in Crow Park again. And I think it would be a big one for them to get to a league final and win that. So I think Kildare might be up against it. I think Monaghan are going to be up against it. And again, I think Toronto are going to be up against it. Like So I'm not sure if I'm giving Donegal much up against Armagh. I think they're going to be playing to win too. So The Dubs are staying up. Know. You're saying the Dubs are staying up. I think the Dubs are going to stay up this weekend. But I think Monaghan, if any, if any team could be difficult to play away in the last game of the season, I think it could be up Monaghan. Are the Dubs actually back? Like we've had two weeks of them winning now at this point, are like, mm. and it does seem that the, the signs are, are are getting a lot more positive. The opposition the last couple of weeks, maybe not as good as some of the teams they played in the first three weeks, in particular, of the National League. But there is also the sense that Dublin are just able to to grind these things out again. That there is definitely an air of early season Dubs of three or four years ago off this team again, where. They weren't amazing in those years in the National League, but there was still enough of a gulf between them and the rest for them to, to win games by four or five points regularly. Yeah, the, I don't think we've overreacted at all with Dublin own. I think we were all analysing what was in front of us, and it was that this Dublin team were so alien to the dubs that we had witnessed, that insane team we saw from even 2015 to, to 2021, if you want to take the six years. Are they back? I never felt they fully went away. Like, even against Kildare, they're beaten. It was amazing to see it. They were fallible. They were making mistakes. But they had three unbelievable goal chances, like three glaring goal chances, each of them from about three yards out that they failed to score. They definitely are playing with a bit more swagger. They're in a bit of a groove. Conor Callaghan's going to come back soon. Um, There was a question hanging over them, and James Dunham made it on the football pod a couple of weeks ago, that it's next to impossible to get up to championship speed if you haven't played three or four games in the league. That is very, very difficult. He would have battled back from injuries himself. Now, I would argue that Dublin are going to make it through Leinster without much bother once again. Um, are they set to face Kildare in the, in the Leinster semi-final? If they get by that, I think Dublin are going to be cooking well enough for a championship semi-final. But for the first time in a long time, if the Dubs have any injuries, like other teams, if the Dubs are missing a Conor Callaghan or a Kieran Kilkenny in the summer, well, that's when the trouble is going to be. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's move on to the green this morning on the performance rankings. By the way, I should say that OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs uh, for, an effortless, for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, every week, we are giving away Gillette Labs shaving kit. So to be in with a chance of winning, just let us know who you think should make the performance rankings. The best place to enter is the Off The Ball Instagram page. You'll see the comments box in our story. Plenty of good shouts there this morning. You've got uh, Chavis Barcelona and Aubameyang uh, in with a shout there on El Clasico. A big win for them 
last night against Real Madrid. Uh, but to bring us on to the green this morning, the football we're going with is Tottenham Hotspur uh, as the race for the top four heats up. Uh, they beat West Ham United 3-1 yesterday. Kurt Zemo own goal and two goals from Hyung-Min Son as well. This Antonio Conte pattern continues. Every loss that they have is followed by a win and every win that they have is followed by a loss. It does feel, though, that they're ready to start stringing a few results together. They've got Newcastle, Villa, Brighton, Brentford next up. Arsenal very much looking over their shoulder. A vital win for them on Saturday against Aston Villa and Manchester United still very much in the mix. That result yesterday probably puts West Ham out of the picture for the top fourth this spot. We've got a proper three-horse race. Arsenal with a three-point cushion and a one-game cushion on Tottenham, but they have to play each other. That is one of those situations where it's going to be High stakes, do not bottle it sort of situation when Arsenal do play Tottenham uh, whenever that game gets refixed for. Uh, like it's, it's going to be hard until we actually see that happen to know whether or not Arsenal have the bottle. Um, but it definitely feels that the way that they've ground out a few results, it looks positive. But uh, we're putting Spurs in the green, Tommy, because Conte feels is ready, as I say, to go on a bit of a run with this team and that he's, he's finally got this team clicking. I was surprised to see Spurs in the green this morning. Oh, and I thought you might have put Arsenal in there. It was a massive win they got against Villa. They may not have been playing as well as they have been in recent weeks. Spurs are on a roll with Conte. I was surprised to see, and we're going to hear from Brian Kerr a little later. Brian doesn't reckon that Spurs are going to have enough to make the top four. So whether that's the fact that he thinks they'll fall short against Arsenal in that in that uh, six-pointer, I think it's fair to say that this race for the top four is going to give the National Football League a run for its money over the next couple of weeks. <laughs> Um, United and Arsenal are set to face in the middle of April too aren't they yeah or is that 2nd of April like so that's going to be a, a huge match as well um, it feels like Arsenal are in control though it feels like Arsenal with that game in hand it, 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 it's all within their own destiny they can control it themselves they're playing so well I think Arsenal are in prime position here to, to take that four Champions League spot. I, I was quite concerned about what would happen if they received a bit of a setback uh, and you looked at that Liverpool fixture and you were like, there's going to be a setback coming right at you down the track. Liverpool will almost certainly win that game because their recent record against Arsenal is so good. And I was mm. definitely a bit concerned that once Liverpool won that game, that it was going to be a situation where they draw against Aston Villa or, or, or struggle to get across the line. Uh, and in actual fact, they ground a result at 1-0, which definitely suggests to me a mental strength which you're still low to say you're still never sure if you can actually say that sort of stuff out loud in case uh, you look like an idiot in a couple of weeks time but it definitely feels that they, that they they've managed to brush that result off and like their fixture list in the very short term isn't that bad but you're right it's those fixtures in April which are going to be absolutely vital and they're going to determine uh, whether or not it's going to be Champions League football for them next season but Tottenham I think have got huge momentum behind them at the moment and I don't think anybody else in the Arsenal or Manchester United camps have anything like the relationship that, that Son and Kane have at the moment. And I think Kulosevsky has mm. been an absolutely outstanding signing. He's been class. So I think yeah. they're, they're looking brilliant going forward. So uh, I, I, I really do think that this, this there's going to be another twist or there's possibly going to be another twist in that tale for the top four before the end of the season. Uh, before yeah. we rag, uh, finish up in the performance rankings in uh, number one place is France. They get the job done. They get the Grand Slam. It's been a long time since we've seen France in the winner's enclosure in the Six Nations, but I think a lot of us would have predicted this coming at the, the start of the year. The one question was whether or not they would have had the mental strength to get over the line and see it out. And there was definitely a few hiccups throughout yeah. this year's Six Nations, Tommy, where he thought, right, could France actually bottle this? Like maybe even in the game against Wales the previous week, he thought, right, this thing could, could collapse on them. What I do think, though, is that I think France are better 
than even this suggests. Yes, they have a Grand Slam in, in, in their hands, but they don't even have the best scoring difference. Ireland have the best scoring difference coming out of this, this Six Nations. I think that they've actually dealt with a lot of the anxiety and got over the line and they've got their hands on the Grand Slam. And I think that is a huge, huge mountain for them to climb uh, as this young team tries to conquer next year. They've made, they're, they're not keeping any secrets. They're not making any bones about the fact that they know that they're a World Cup contender at home at the end of next year. And once they got that first Grand Slam off the back, uh, I think that they could do another one next year. I think they could, could do back-to-back championships at least. And I think this team is going to be around, obviously, for a very, very long time. Uh, so France, obviously, in the green and, uh, and, and the Grand Slam for them. A brilliant team to watch as well, Tommy. Yeah, I totally agree with Joan. I think it was... The psychological factor of it was massive for France this time around. It's fair to say that uh, while the score difference was was what it was, Ireland was were quite a bit ahead. Um, and you know, England and Wales are eleven points off Ireland in second. Like they've finished on ten points to them. It is fair to say that France were the best team, even though it was only a point in the difference. France were definitely the best team this time around. Um, the hype is real. I think it's interesting that they they had those couple of hiccups and they came through them. Winners. Good winners always find a way to win. I think Ireland's Grand Slam um, a couple of years ago, the year of Le Drop with Sexton, we found a way to win those games that year. We may not have been playing, you know, at 110% of, of what we could do. It was a pity that that was the pinnacle of that team and the peak that we hit. I don't think that this is going to be the peak of France that we've seen so far. I think France are primed. It'll be interesting to see what happens next year in the Six Nations. Like, do you taper off a little bit next year in the Six Nations in in anticipation of the World Cup? Or are you trying to win back-to-back Grand Slams? It's hard to know. Um, but there was a couple of moments. Was there, was like genuinely, I, I had a couple of points. Paddy's day I was trying to keep half an eye in the game, or not Paddy's on Saturday. I was trying to keep half an eye in the game. Was there ever a chance that England were going to get over the line to beat them? They had a chance for half time for a try that um, that would kind of fell short. Was there ever a, a real danger that France were going to lose on? On Saturday night, I think there's probably a, a more real danger that the France were going to lose than Ireland were going to lose in their their game against mm. Scotland. To be honest, and I think England probably uh, got their got their things together in the the second half when they were really up against it. But it was it was just too late. And it, like I, I I didn't think before the game that depending on England for a favour was was an overly yeah. likely outcome. And we will get into England a little bit later on with with Alan Quinlan as well because uh, a whole heap of questions about where they're at at the moment. Like, based on absolutely nothing and based on just pure kind of history and, and trends, I do think that maybe next year England will just show up and all of a sudden they're a, a big contender again, especially with Eddie Jones at the helm. But whether or not Eddie Jones is even going to be head coach at the start of next year's Six Nations, I think if you're reading the papers this morning, that very much remains to be seen uh, because a lot of people uh, don't necessarily want him in charge at the moment. Uh, one last thing to finish up this morning on with the performance rankings. It is, uh, I would say, one of the, the stories of the weekends. The, the Formula 1 was back to Bahrain Grand Prix. So the return of Ferrari, uh, a real return for Ferrari. A lot of people... Uh, predicted beforehand that this was going to be a big season for them. Charles Leclerc and uh, Carlos Sainz with a 1-2 finish in the opening race of the season. So that is a a massive storyline. But it's not the big storyline. The big storyline, as ever with modern Formula 1, is whether or not Gunther Steiner is happy. Like, I mean, he has entertained all of us in Drive to Survive being a grumpy man because he is very, very funny when he is a grumpy man. He is the most likeable person and possibly any sport ever and we just all want to see Gunther Steiner do well so I think people will uh, uh, will will forgive me for saying that I think this was a good news story over the weekend that they got points on the board they got Mick Schumacher in at 11th but in a fifth place they got Kevin Magnussen making a return to Formula One with a top five finish absolutely incredible but most importantly this guy was happy
Look at that smile. We've missed that smile, Gunter. <laughs> yeah, I missed it as well. I think, uh, no, it was uh, what the whole team did. I mean, if you think about the last two years and then coming back like this, it's, uh, I mean, you cannot, uh, you, you cannot write a story like this, in my opinion. But uh, the guys, I mean, uh, the guys on the racetrack the last two years, I mean, they, they had uh, tough times, but they, they kept their, their head low, learned, and uh, the pit stops today were good. Everything was just fine, and they took the years, uh, the, the last year to, to get ready for a better car. And the, and the guys delivered a, a good car this year. So uh, it's all down to the team. I'm, they can be all very proud. I mean, I'm proud of them, you know. So it, it, it's, it's just fantastic. I mean, I can't, I can't say more, you know. It's, uh, uh, but it's all down to the team, you know. Uh, it's, uh, Kevin did a fantastic job, I mean. For him, a comeback like this, he wouldn't have dreamt of, I think, you know, but uh, things happen in life. A month ago, it was a completely different scenario, and now, all of a sudden, we are fifth. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. It is ten past eight. You're with us here on OTBAM, a pack show still to come. We're talking rugby with Alan Quinlan next. But first, here's Shane Byrne and Keen Tracy with Willow Callaghan discussing the performance of Dan Sheehan. Tomorrow, like it's it, it's such an interesting story. Like I said, like I'm down here at Musgrave Park now, hopefully about to watch the Ireland under twenties win a Grand Slam. But when Ronan Keller, or sorry, when Dan Sheehan was coming through, he didn't actually make the under twenty squad initially. Um, by the time the World Cup came around, he ended up getting in because, like ironically enough, Ronan Keller got injured. He was overlooked for a place in the Leinster Academy because Leinster went for Ronan Keller instead, which is fair enough. You have two outstanding hookers, so you're dead right. He went off and he first he played with uh, Trinity in the AIL. Did an unbelievable job under Tony Smith, who's Tony Smith, who's just done fantastic work with so many Leinster players. A really unheralded guy in sort of the, the Irish system. But then he went on to to Lansdowne and kind of really got a bit of an edge about him. So we see so many guys kind of you know coming out of school and playing twenties and their kind of household names are Gary Ringroses or James Ryan's. By the time they get to international stage, it's been a bit of a slow burner for Dan Sheehan. Like the guy is still only uh, twenty one or twenty three, sorry, but. His his rise over the last year. I was looking back, and at this this weekend last year, he was coming off the bench, playing his tenth game ever game for Leinster in a home defeat to the Ospreys. So, in twelve months, he's he's now gone to the Stade de France. He's now gone to Twickenham, and he's played he's played a massive part in Ireland winning a triple crown. He's featured in all five games this year. So, it's been a remarkable twelve months for him. And like you said, he's. He's just such a like we don't usually produce kind of athletes with his kind of profile, and I think that's what's so exciting about it. I think Shane kind of hit the nail on the head. He'll be so much better, I think, for the experience that he had in Twickenham because, like we talked about, Key and Healy, it's about problem solving on the hoof. You know, like it's it, it's not waiting for the, the the analysis Monday morning review and the coaches to hold your hand and say, well, you should have done this, you should have should have done that. So I think this experience would have been unbelievable for him throughout the Six Nations. And I thought he just capped it off yesterday. He's such an explosive presence. OTB AM. 14 minutes past eight. You're welcome back to OTB AM. We are reacting to the weekend's rugby with Alan Quinlan, who's with us on the line. Alan, how are you getting on? Good on now and yourself. Yeah, very well. So if we start with the senior men on uh, on Saturday, uh, I guess if we look at the season as a whole, the Six Nations as a whole, plenty scored, not a lot conceded, a triple crown in the bag and also still a long way to go, it feels, before next year and the World Cup. I think that's a pretty positive way to be coming out of this year's Six Nations, right? Yeah, it is. Um, on. I think there's um, it, it kind of had a strange feel to it on Saturday. I think um, there was an expectation that you know, Ireland were going to win this comfortably. They did in the end... Scotland were pretty 
uh, fired up um, in desperate in a desperate kind of situation, given the com- controversies they had in the Scottish camp uh, that kind of came out on on, on Friday. Um, a lot of pressure on Gregor Townsend in Scotland, so they were always going to, you know, put in a a, a serious fight. But um, I thought Ireland. We're, we're good at times, um, made some mistakes and errors. Um, they're not the finished article, I think. So they've gone through the, gone through the tournament with four from five, um, wins. So I think that's a pretty good return. Um, I think they'll, they'll still be a little bit frustrated about what happened in Paris against a very good French side, but overall they'll be very pleased and, um, they played some brilliant rugby throughout this tournament. It's no harm being a little bit frustrated the year before World Cup. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's, I think the thing, the thing that, what do Ireland need to get better at? Well, they gave away 50 penalties in, in, in five games. Um, if you go back to the, right to the start when they were a really dominant performance against Wales, um, six penalties in that game. If you want to be really dominant and kind of get close to an indicator, of 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 your dominance and um, discipline is a big part of it, and I think you know the six penalties against Wales would indicate that you know Ireland were very disciplined, had a lot of ball, made good decisions, didn't turn over the ball um, as much. Um, we're trying to play this expansive game, but the penalties do hurt you if you're in the double double figures. It's hard to win games. Now Ireland did have. Uh, Turnovers conceded in that game. There was 19, which is still pretty high. Um, and, and that's probably one area where, you know, if you want to get better, um, if this team wants to get better is, is protecting the ball. Um, 85 turnovers in the five games. It's a bit high. It is too high. It's too high. There's no doubt about that. Um, the type of game they're playing on, I think they're going to make mistakes and they're going to lose the ball and, and, and knock it on at times and, some passes aren't going to stick, but turnovers conceded is, is right across the board. That's lineouts and drop balls, loose passes, um, breakdown work. It's the full package. So um, their their knock on turnovers were kind of fairly low, I think. But that's an area where they need to prove probably discipline and and the turnovers conceded. Um, you can always get better at different parts. So obviously the scrum. Um, the English um, the scrum against England there was a couple of scrums late on in the game and getting more depth in the, in the squad but to score 24 tries um, and concede four they're not winning the tournament France are winning the tournament mm-hmm. they only scored 17 so does that really matter but it's an indicator and, and a pleasing indicator from an Irish point of view that they're 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 attacking um, their game has improved a lot and I think that's where probably we we were kind of um, inadequate at the last World Cup. The ability to to take scores and create scores out of out of moments of pressure. Um, so I think they've expanded their game brilliantly, and um, it's a really pleasing return. I think you know it's not ideal, um, but to go to have England and France away in 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 the Six Nations is always the harder proposition, and to win. It just goes to show what they did in 2018 was was incredible to win in Paris in that first game and then the bonus point victory in Twickenham 
or the, the, the big win in Twickenham at the end for the Triple Crown, the Grand Slam was, was phenomenal. But plenty to work on, and I think, but still very, very positive signs about where they're going. Uh, Rob Carney was making the point at the weekend that Ireland need to be careful to not get uh, a reputation about the lack of depth that they have in that front row, that if they get late into a game and the, uh, the I guess the, the subs are coming on, that they don't get this sense that you know the rest will just penalise them because they know that they're going to be creamed up front um, o- o- over a period of time. So how do Ireland go about changing that over the next little while, assuming that uh, a generationally gifted uh, other loose head doesn't also emerge, for example, as a as a backup to a fully fit porter? Um, it's perception, isn't it? Mm. Um, it's it's crowd perception and. and you know, sometimes referees are swayed if you're away from home. Um, a scrum tweaks or twists or turns somewhere and the, the home crowd are going crazy and the referee kind of um, goes with that that pressure. Um, you want to try and... You always hear the word creating a picture of uh, the picture the referee sees in the scrums because sometimes um, oh, there's penalties awarded for one side and, and you look back and replays and you think that penalty should have went the other way. And it's very difficult on the referees because sometimes it is an interpretation and there's things that they don't see and you have the benefit of seeing it in replays. But um, I think it's the perception of the referees as well. And that does happen. It does happen if you have, um, you know, this narrative that there's issues that with, with any team scrum, you kind of, you go with the narrative when, when, Someone gets gets that go forward situation in 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 a, in a game. So, um, how do you change that? You just make sure that you're kind of squeaky clean and the pictures you're providing to referees, not not just on the day, but there's no examples when the referees meet up, um, the international referees, and um, they have their their conversations at different stages of years before tournaments. That there's no pictures of Ireland scrum that. They're illegal, or that they're they're under massive pressure, or that they they can't scrummage square. Um, so that's that's something that you have to work on. But you know, I think getting Andrew Porter and Ronan Keller back will will help massively. The experience that um, Dan Sheehan would have had from a scrummaging point of view, and the different sorts of pressure that he's he's incredible around the field, and um, it's just making sure that you get that part of your game right as well. Um, and trying to get some more depth as well, of course. You want more depth there. Um, Keane Healy has been around a long time and has had a phenomenal career, but you need impact off the bench. Dave Kilcoyne came on the other day and was, was very good as well. And sometimes when you're chasing a game, you're going to get those penalties that, that go against you. And there was a couple in the scrum. Um, again, that picture wasn't correct, so it's something that Ireland need to really work on. The finding that depth is an interesting one because I guess the Dan Sheehan emergence has has come from an unfortunate injury to Ronan Kelleher. Now, in fairness, people have been talking up Dan Sheehan for quite some time, and he's obviously and a brilliant, brilliant rugby player. But are there other areas of the pitch that that you would have liked to have seen Ireland explore a little bit more depth in before the end of this year's Six Nations? And I ask that obviously in the context of the next three games being New Zealand. Um. I'm not sure. I think um, it, it, Ireland needed to to have a good Six Nations and needed to challenge for it because um, you're talking about a narrative of scrums. You, I, everybody's talking about Ireland now that they're they're right up there again 
with one of the best teams in the world. Um, France are probably being ranked number one. Uh, New Zealand will certainly have something to say about that in the summer. Um, South Africa as well. So, but just from a northern hemisphere point of view, there's France and Ireland have been better than the rest, and so they're in a good place now. And and you know when when teams play Ireland now and and going forward, I think they'll they'll know they're playing against a very very good good attacking side. I think a lot of the French players were stunned at. Um, the accuracy and, and the way Ireland attacked in that second half and just their overall ambition. Um, I spoke to a few few contacts in, in, in close to the team and they were really incredibly impressed um, with the way Ireland played in that second half. And obviously they realised that if, you let, if we, they, they let Ireland keep going like this, they're going to win the game. But their reaction and just the, their, their ability to attack, that's something that we weren't talking about in the last few years on. So building on... on I think if you look at the back three with Hugo Keane and James Lowe, Andrew Conway, Mac Hansen, Balakoon, Jordan Larmer, um, we're getting a, a real kind of depth chart there, which is brilliant. Um, concern would be if, if, if because Keenan has been so good under the high ball and, and what he's done, who can play full back if they step in there? But, you know, Andy Farrell has introduced a lot of players to this team in the last 18 months and Players who you'd be, you know, very confident can can get better, learn from their experiences, being in around the squad. Um, so I wouldn't have made any more changes really because you know you're trying to win a Six Nations. But the summer tour will be really interesting. It's not really a tour that you're kind of going. Well, we'll experiment too much there. But the whole experience have been, you know, there'll be one or two maybe surprises going on that tour. But I believe and look from from uh, you know the players that are there the vast majority of them uh, one or two are, are you know in their 30s and the wrong side of 30 um, but he's got to make a decision now very quickly about you know who goes to the World Cup and and who doesn't in his own mind I know it's a long way out still you've got a summer tour November internationals another six nations so I think um, I, there's no real situation I go that this player should have got more game time. You know, Mike Lowry and Robert Blackburn, James Hume, they bring a, a lot of excitement, youth and enthusiasm. And I think they're going to be, they're going to have a big say when it comes to the World Cup. They could be starters by then. Yeah, for sure. If, if we look back then at the, some of the storylines of the Six Nations as a whole, I guess it doesn't really get any bigger than the, the Sexton succession plan. And I'm just interested in your thoughts on what we learned on Saturday about it because I guess I did feel after the France game that Joey Carberry was in with a, a real shot of, of taking that 10 jersey, at least for a little while. And then it feels that he loses that opportunity against Italy and there's more distance now between Sexton and Carberry than there was before that France game, it feels. Is, is, is that a misreading the situation or, or, or do you go along with that? Yeah, I don't know. I, um, I think what happened in Paris um, was... was you know, Joey Carberry's performance and um, what he did there, I think, was very pleasing. Um, didn't didn't set the, 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 you know, didn't have this phenomenal performance and, and incredible Irish win, but he played well. Um, I think there's there was probably a few faults in his performance. Nobody has a perfect performance, but I just thought Saturday would have been an opportunity to get him on the pitch earlier 
um, deal deal with that situation. Um, when you're cap- when you have your captain and it's it's a triple crown and he hasn't played much in the last few weeks himself. Um, it's it's a difficult one, but he's got to start start in New Zealand. I think that'll be another step for him to to start one of those tests in New Zealand. But um, getting him on earlier on Saturday would have been something that I I would have liked to have seen. Um, closing the gap is is about. You know, Joey Carberry needs to play well for Munster now for the rest of the season. Um, he needs to get loads of games under his belt and avoid avoid some injuries, hopefully, because um, one of the big problems with him at different times is his lack of match practice and match hardness that you get. But um, there's no quick fix solution to the level that Sexton plays at and, and what he can do. Um, but that that's still an area for concern. You know, if Johnny Sexton gets an injury or doesn't, Something happens him doesn't make the World Cup. Um, you know, there is a bit of a difference, and that's still there. But I'd be confident that Carberry, if he finished the season strong and he gets a good run, he needs a bit of luck too with with injuries. Um, but you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't in this situation because your captain is 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 your number ten, um, and I think. New Zealand has to, he has to start to test New Zealand and deal with that pressure of, of what he did in Paris again and try and build on it. In a way, is the current situation the ideal situation for the Ireland coaching ticket because you've got Sexton as your starter and Carberry as your substitute, who, as we saw at the weekend, was brought on at full back, that you have somebody on the bench who can cover two positions and if something happened to Hugo Keane in mid-match, you have a ready-made substitute there as well. Did they almost prefer Carberry as a bench given his versatility or I guess the apparent versatility I don't know I think they should have brought him on earlier right. even if they weren't taking Johnny Sexton off I think they should have brought him on but 20-25 minutes ago would have been um, an opportunity for him you know I, I my son was watching back and um, some stuff on YouTube and I was watching Joey Carberry the other day and, and playing for Leinster and playing at full back and just the broken field running and the the confidence and the, the sidestep and the ability to, to put passes and put people away. He's an incredibly talented player. Um, so, you know, it would have been a great opportunity to get him on earlier. It didn't happen. Um, as I said, I hope he plays um, and does really well for Munster between now and the end of the season uh, himself and just gets lots of games. And um, But having a playmaker like him and, you know, he hasn't probably played at fullback for a while. Um, but, you know, he's... He's a player that, that they've got to try and get the best out of. We know he's talented. Um, they've got to try and find a way to get between here and the World Cup, um, optimise his talents and, and make sure his confidence is, is, is pretty high if they can. Just rewind then to earlier on uh, Saturday afternoon, seeing Italy finally get over the line, finally get the job done, getting a win on the board in the Six Nations. It has to go down as one of the great recent moments in Six Nations. It was incredible. Um, I you have to. I don't know where Wales, how it happened, and why they were. Um, you know, I think with Alan Wynne Jones coming back, hundred and fifty caps. Dan Bigger, hundred caps. Um, incredible characters. Uh, they've contributed so much to Welsh rugby and international rugby, British and Irish lines. Did they get sidetracked? Did they, you know, the Welsh team, the Welsh crowd, take their their eye off the ball a little bit. Um, and let's be honest, it's 
that performance kind of blew everyone away, really. We didn't see it coming. You know, they'd lost their previous 36 uh, Six Nations matches in a row. Um, they ran Scotland close last week. There were certainly moments in that game where I thought there's there's potential here um, and Kieran Crowley is is making progress with them. But just when they get into crucial areas, they're lacking that, that precision, that... That patience, that accuracy to 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 to, to capitalise and score tries, and they give up a couple of long range tries to Scotland last week, and then they fight back at the end. And I thought, well, it's 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 a better performance. So we didn't see this performance coming. We didn't see this results. And you know, I would uh, I would have played against Marco Bortolami a lot, the former Italian captain. Um, he's a great fella, um, and he's he's. He's obviously very passionate about Italian rugby. I was in touch with him a few weeks ago um, when there was a lot of talk about South Africa and booting Italy out and get replacing Italy. And we've all had an opinion on that over the years. And I know if you're a Welsh person this morning, you're not pleased uh, being being the ones kind of that that Italy finally got that win against. But it's so significant and so important for them. And you know, it was incredible. I think anyone who's who would have seen that or even picked up on it since uh, to see that kind of emotion in sport when Garbisi kicks the, the conversion and just their whole reaction was was really special and um, it was a lovely moment for them and for the likes of Castro Giovanni, uh, Marco Bartolami, the Bergomasco brothers, all these people, um, Sergio Parise, mm. um, who put so much, so much into Italian rugby and they're incredibly passionate um, about you know playing for the country, I think it was a special moment for all all those guys as well. And um, unfortunately, from a Welsh point of view, they're the ones that lost the game, and they have their issues, and that's a big concern. But um, the Six Nations needed this; they needed Italy to beat somebody, um, and hopefully it continues. Hopefully they can build and get stronger. But it was just a lovely moment, one of those moments in sport that you go, "Wow!" to see that passion and emotion from from people and um it was a lovely moment for them yeah it was absolutely class like if you look at that question around italy at the moment and maybe it's not an exact science whatsoever but if you make a cursory glance at the under 20s table and seeing italy not finishing bottom not finishing second bottom uh in, in that table does that give you hope that maybe those questions will just fade into the background a little you know, bit they beat England. They're in yeah. their 20s, beat England. They've won three games in their 20s, I think, and they beat Wales yesterday. So it was an incredible weekend for them um, to win. Um, they're, they're, you know, that, that gives you hope and confidence. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to start winning lots of international games, but you, you, for the Six Nations, I think it's um, for them to avoid a wooden spoon again and, and uh, you know, to uh, win a game was was absolutely brilliant and I think there's 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 a lot of good players there um the connection and that kind of ruthlessness and this ability to to win matches has been lacking they make too many errors when they get into um, you know crucial areas but um that kind of optimism a few weeks ago when they beat England under 20s kind of started and you know there was a lot of negative stuff going on around them being out of the Six Nations so um, it'll be brilliant, you know, to be able to go to Rome or have Italy come to Dublin and 
us not expecting this big result, this bonus point victory, um, and that it's going to be a tough game and that you, you have to work hard and that you never know, you may lose in Rome. Everyone would love that, to see that for um, in the tournament from, from, from the outside looking in. Um, and we look, they still have a bit to go and a long way to go and it's work in progress. But to get a win like that, and it, particularly for it to be away from home was incredible. Even the optimism on around what Ireland did this 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 uh, tournament, but also the under twenties winning a Grand Slam yesterday. Yeah, um, that's brilliant for 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 Irish rugby. You know, you're box ticking there a situation. You're saying, well, you know, there's a Grand Slam for our under twenties. We're we're doing something right. The programs are working. There's a lot of good young players now potentially would come through from that under twenties. Nobody really gave them much of a a shout before the start of the tournament. Um, Richie Murphy, the head coach, who's done a, a wonderful job, um, was talking them down. Um, wasn't really sure where they were going to be at themselves. Um, worried about the physicality and the size when you play France and England. Um, the win over in Paris for those under 20s, well, they, they'll never forget that. You know, people often ask me about different stages of my career, matches, and you remember certain games. Those young fellas will never forget that win in Paris and you know they were on the back foot for long periods of that game but the way they dug in there won it at the end with that Ben Brownlee try and yesterday down in Cork being able to win a Grand Slam they were utterly dominant and blew Scotland away so there's there's certainly a number of those under 20 guys will will, will come through and, and play professional rugby and, and hopefully you know go on and play for the national side so the senior side so, so what happened Alan why, why didn't those fears about Ireland in the under 20s actually come to be was was it literally just talking things down or or is this no, I think I, I think with, with, with a lot of these players and it's for all you know with COVID a lot of the under 20 players would have missed out on schools games and under 19 games in the last two years they would have been just they were the first to be kind of canned and cancelled you know they weren't played those games weren't played behind closed doors tournaments were cancelled so they didn't play a lot of age grade rugby in the last two years because of COVID. Um, so we didn't. It was a little bit unknown. And when you're playing England and France, the depth charts they have. There's a couple of players that weren't available to Richie Murphy through injury, particularly in the second row. Um, so uh, there was a kind of a fear that maybe you know physically they weren't ready. Um, look at Conor O'Tierney. Um, the second row is played throughout the, the tournament. He's only 18. He's playing second row. You know, there's a big difference there being an 18 year old and a 20 year old. I know he's 19 in a few weeks, but he's underage again next year. There's a good few of these are. Um, so it's a brilliant, um, it's a brilliant return for Richie Morphe and, and 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 the under 20 side and gives uh, great optimism and hope for, for that these players can come through and and, and an excitement. Yeah. Absolutely. Alan Quinlan, great stuff. Thanks a million. Cheers. Thanks all. Quinny there, of course, is the host of the Red 78 podcast as well, which you can get on the OTB Sports app. It is 8.38 on this Monday morning and OTB AM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Carl Milani is with us in studio. Carl, how are you getting on? Morning, Owen. How are you? Yeah, very well. Good. Talk us through your weekend escapades. Tommy was with us earlier. He was, he was in Cusick Park. Where, where did the weekend take you? 
Uh, I was on uh, Derry and Galway yesterday right. in Division 2 so very impressive from Galway I have to say um, they were really really good Derry I think actually won the toss and there was a really strong breeze down the field in Ownbeg and they actually opted to play against it so Galway pushed right up in the kick out uh, three goals in the first half they got one then after half time as well to put the game to bed but that was the one that uh, got them back uh, to Division 1 so really really good from Galway I think they're motoring very nicely and they're probably able to throw an eye now onto Mayo in the Connacht Championship in a couple of weeks time I think a month's time or maybe five weeks time uh, they play Roscommon next week so they've already got promotion secure and obviously we'll have a, a league final to come as well been an eye opener for Derry the last two weeks though mm-hmm. they were you know I know a lot of people thinking that they were Ulster Championship contenders but to ship four goals yesterday and they struggled at times against Roscommon the week before um, so they still in with a chance of going up they play I think Meath next week uh, so they're still in with a reasonable shout of going up but I think an eye, an eye opener for them over the last two weekends I think like I mean it's it's not new news uh, but the Connacht Championship was actually excellent and it's obviously not as fast as, as the Ulster Championship yeah. in terms of its depth but like mm. given Mayo and everybody in Mayo so chatting to a lot of them last week at the, the Kerry game everybody's trying to talk up this Galway side and I'm not actually sure it is Yerism I actually think that they <laughs> they genuinely believe that the yeah. Galway team are on the comeback and we kind of forget how good they were right before COVID and uh, that had a strange impact on people. That time off had a strange impact on many, many teams. Maybe Galway were just one of those teams mm. that just had this dip in form that was inexplicable and they're finally starting to rekindle this early 2020 form. You've got Ross Common in the mix as well. I genuinely think Derry are a very, very good side and Galway and Ross Common, the table doesn't lie, as they say, may well finish ahead of Derry come the end of this year's yeah. league campaign. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. Um, but Derry have made huge strides as well, obviously, under Rory Galler. I think they had won 11 games on the bounce between the divisions up until the Roscommon match. They hadn't conceded a goal until yesterday uh, they were, they'd only conceded 42 points in the league up until yesterday so maybe it was an off day and obviously with that game to come next week they're still in with a good shout Roscommon are an interesting one because Anthony Cunningham has been there a few years now they've got a very uh, tried and trusted method they have upset the apple cart in terms of Galway, Mayo and Connacht over recent years probably punched above their weight um, and they have kind of yo-yoed between Division 1 and 2 I suppose for them if they could be consistent enough to stay in Division 1 like Kildare looked like they might manage to do now this year if they can stay up would be the goal for Roscommon but they will fancy their chances in Connacht again they're on the opposite side of the draw to Mayo and Galway so they can they can build up for that but it is a, a good competition Mayo they didn't really field a strong team did they against Tyrone on, no. on, on Saturday it's a funny one um, how important is a league final to them I'm not sure uh, they, they'll play Kildare next week and if they win there they'll, they'll be in the league final more than likely so it's interesting I'm not sure I think they obviously have an eye on the championship as well and they will be wary of Galway because I think Galway probably have, haven't got the credit you know under Kevin Walsh they were hugely competitive they got to a league final against Dublin uh, they were very very competitive in Connacht obviously where they, they picked up a couple of titles uh, I know they lost once or twice unexpectedly but they certainly had the, the hex line over Mayo mm. over those years which is uh, considering Mayo went so close to All-Irelands in, in 16 and 17 as well um, but now they obviously have the attacking talent like they won yesterday without Shane Walsh um, Robert Finnerty is a really good forward Paul Conroy around the middle is just a Rolls Royce for a player in terms of delivering ball in Damien Comer looked fresh yesterday although I think he was taken off with a bit of a, a hamstring scare um, but they have a lot of depth Tom O'Kulkan came on and, and got a goal Desi Keneally from Mike Cullen uh, got a goal as well you know the Kellys are playing really well from Mike Cullen as well so all in all they look very very strong very very strong and with the attacking talent they have you'd, you'd like to think that they'll be in the mix at least uh, if they can keep it in, in Connacht and then beyond that as well
April 24th is that matchup between mm. Mayo and Galway. It's going to be uh, the, the first early date in your calendar from a football perspective this summer. Anyway, uh, so what are we leading off with this morning? Well, we'll start with the uh, FA Cup action yesterday. Liverpool and Manchester City set to meet in the semi-final. City were 4-1 winners over Southampton. Liverpool advanced courtesy of a 1-0 win over Nottingham Forest. On the other side of the draw, Crystal Palace will meet Chelsea. Palace hammered Everton yesterday by four goals. Now, there was Premier League action as well. Tottenham within three points of fourth place. Arsenal now in the Premier League. They were 3-1 winners against uh, fellow European hopefuls West Ham yesterday. So a useful result for them. Leicester were 2-1 winners over Brentford in the day's other game. In El Clasico last night, Barcelona Barcelona beat Real Madrid by four goals. Neil Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang scoring twice there for the winners against the La Liga leaders. But Madrid still have a nine-point advantage at the top. Barca now in third. A great night last night as we were chatting with uh, Alan about for the Irish under-20 Six Nations Grand Slam winners. They hammered Scotland by 59 points to five. Nine tries in that win at Musgrave Park in Cork. It's Ireland's third ever Grand Slam after previous successes in 2007 and 2019. We've mentioned Gaelic Games. We'll start with Hurling the joint defending champions Kilkenny remain on course to retain their Allianz Hurling League Division 1 title they beat Waterford yesterday by 221 to 21 points they'll play Cork in the semi-finals Cork lost yesterday to Wexford by 122 to 117 Wexford remain unbeaten and they will play Waterford on the other side of the semi-final draw elsewhere All-Ireland champions Limerick beat Offaly Dublin beat Leash Tipperary had a comfortable win over Antrim and Galway were 25 points to 120 winners over Clare in the football Dublin boosted their survival prospects in Division 1 they beat Donegal by 215 to 211 Kildare 24 points to 112 winners over Monaghan Kerry beat Armagh by 113 to 13 points in the other Division 1 action yesterday and uh, finally some golf news to finish Shane Larry with another solid finish on the PGA Tour last night he finished in a tie for 12th at the Valspar Championship a closing round of 3 under par 68 he finish on a, uh, 11 under par in Florida that was 6 shots off 2 players Sam Burns and Davis Riley Burns won the title courtesy of a birdie at the second playoff hole. Cahill Milani, great stuff. Chat to you soon. Thanks all. It is 8.44. You're going to see her on OTBAM. Get ready to cheer Ireland on in the TikTok Women's Six Nations. To launch this year's campaign, we are giving away two tickets to see Ireland take on Wales on Saturday the 26th of March at quarter to five at the RDS. The lucky winners will also be entered into a draw to be in with a chance to win an overnight stay in the stunning Intercontinental Hotel on the night of the game. To enter this competition, just tell us what do you think the score will be this weekend between Ireland and Wales. Wherever you're watching this morning on OTBAM, you can comment on Twitter or on Facebook or on YouTube. International Women's Rugby is at the RDS and there's nothing like it. Be part of the action. Get your tickets at ticketmaster.ie. Anthony Moyles is with us to look back on the weekend's football. Anthony, how are you getting on? Morning, Owen. How are you doing? Yeah, very well. We might start with that uh, Croke Park event yesterday between uh, Dublin and Donegal. I think we all probably wanted just a couple of games to see if the Dubs are getting back to their best. Uh, They've got another win, at least. What's impressing you most about the direction of them over the last uh, two games from Dublin? Uh, well, like, like I mean, we've we've spoken about this. I think they're 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 starting to gel. Um, obviously, players coming back, which has massively helped. Um, yeah, but I think I think look, you know, the the addition of a couple of fellas such as McCarthy, um, you know, he he he's a massive bonus for him because he gives them options then around the middle. It means you can you know you can push Howard into the into the half forward line. Um, but apart from even the guys coming back, and we know obviously O'Callaghan has to come back, Costello came back in recently, Merchant come back in, Robbie McDade came back in. They've still obviously got a few more to come in, including Paddy Small uh, uh, and O'Callaghan. But you're, you're, I think 
their level of work rate has increased massively on you know so at last week if you watch you know if you if you keep an eye on dean rock dean rock busts the gut i don't know how many five or six times chasing fellas back to the halfway line and beyond you know dean wouldn't be known for that uh, like still works very hard but he's a guy who obviously stays close to goal because that's where he's the most dangerous but he absolutely he turned fellas over last week um and even in the game yesterday added again and costello did the same and i think at around the 62nd or the 63rd minute he chased a, a Donegal man back. He he got an interception. Uh, it went to another Dublin man. I think it went to uh, uh, I can't remember who it went to. But anyway, they, they, they attacked down the bill and it finished with Fenton kicking the score off his left. Um, stuff that you want to see as a manager and that you're able to take out on a video session and say that's the kind of stuff we need. That's the kind of stuff that that unseen work and 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 how it then you know ends up in a score uh, for the team. So. You know, I think I think they have managed to get that, um, and you know they seem to be playing with a bit of a chip on their shoulder now. They seem to be kind of getting stuck in. As I said, really, from from an effort point of view and from from an intensity point of view, they have upped it massively since the first two or three league games. You know, chasing back, chasing loss causes. Running, running, running with you know support players, running really like I mean, I tell you where there's a big difference. You watch Scully. I think he, he he must have got a massive kick up the rear end because the first couple of games I felt that he was very passive, you know, kind of quarterbacking the game, but not really doing anything majorly positive. Going quite lateral when he got the ball, uh, slowing things down a bit. But the difference in him in the last two weeks has been immense. Every single time he gets the ball, he injects pace. Every single time he goes at a player, he draws men in. You know, he's if you watch his goal, watch where he starts on the goal yesterday. Um, he's essentially you know way behind midfield uh, and Ombon Gallagher is marking him loses him completely as the two of them drift in and he just continues his run he actually gives the initial pass and then follows it in and gets on the end of it um, so he you know like like others in 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 the in the setup um, are, are playing and playing with a lot more intensity and a lot more I, I suppose ambition as well it, it seems to me as well as if they've stumbled upon a full backline that they can really trust for the duration of the season and Fitzsimons, Byrne and, and, and Keane Murphy because that was definitely an area that was getting exposed time after time in the first three weeks of the season. Yeah, yeah. And they've also got competition there, remember. You know, um, the, 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 I thought Byrne had a very tricky first couple of weeks. Like, if you remember, <laughs> he obviously marked O'Neill <clears throat> for Armagh and he got a bit of a third time run O'Neill. I thought Fitzsimons got his fill of it yesterday. Obviously, Paddy McBurty. McBurty put on a bit of a lesson, you know, 1 5 from right. play. Um, and he was pretty much, you know, very, very difficult to mark. But we'll get to that in a minute. But yeah, they're, they're, they're very solid there. Um, but of course, it's being held now by the fact that their half back line in front of them is a bit more solid. I think when Howard was at six, he, he got dragged out too much on. You know, he, he didn't know where exactly he was and he was leaving a few gaping holes um, in that area of the pitch where teams could exploit. You know, they're in a situation now where they're a bit more solid there. Like they didn't have John Small yesterday, but John will obviously come back in and solidify there as well so you know it's it's look it's it's one of those things um they're managing what i thought was interesting with with, with even what what farrell has done is he's, he has kept the competition um even within those couple of players the new lads coming in so i can't remember the the the, the, the lad's name uh apologies the cornerback who started the first couple of games you might know it uh, Lee 
<laughs> Correct, Lee Gannon. I thought he was. I thought he was an absolute fine for them, <clears throat> and I was surprised to see him on the subs bench last week and then surprised to see it again and I was thinking to myself well you know is he injured uh, has he done enough but if, if, if it is a smart move by the, the management team they're keeping him really on his toes because you know Murphy comes in does, does a fine job last week very very capable fella on the ball you see him coming up the field yesterday in the second half he puts a lovely little dink pass into Dean Rock who kicks one over his shoulder um, you know a, a ticky a sticky kind of tight cornerback nothing 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 too flash just doing his job um, and obviously getting 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 plenty of experience there. So they're, they're all of a sudden starting to blood new guys uh, and fellas who you would say, you know what, these guys can get a championship start. Um, so, look, as we said a couple of weeks ago, they haven't gone away uh, and, there's, and there's absolutely certainly no doubt about it. O'Callaghan would like to be getting back in now. I think it's getting too close. Um, like I believe he got re-injured, which wasn't a great sign, but you'd certainly want to get him back in because... Look, they're, they're not going to have a full complement. They're going to be without one or two. But if you have Coslo, you have Dean Rock, you know, you've Howard, you've Scully, you've Kilkenny, um, and then you know you've got a couple of others, AN others floating in and around. Like Bugler, I thought was really, really good actually in the first three or four games, and he's kind of drifted back a little bit. I thought in the last two games, he was one of the guys who was kind of really you know holding it together in the first couple of games and he's kind of drifted off he was okay yesterday he wasn't he wasn't brilliant um but you know look it's it's as we said before the the strength and depth now is starting to come and once they bring these other guys back in well you know they're going to be they're, they're going to be there thereabouts again right that's very interesting i'm interested as well in your in your Donegal uh, take because it definitely felt to me a couple of weeks ago uh, like I'm sure Donegal people would have disagreed with me that the win against Tyrone almost came against the run of play that without Michael Murphy they were really struggling and that they needed to get Murphy back ASAP now in fairness Murphy is back now and obviously uh, played very well yesterday but the other parts around him seem to be clicking into gear as well like I didn't see the full game yesterday but is that is that exactly what, what you would have seen yesterday? Well, I tell you, I was dreading watching it yesterday because, to be honest with you, it's been like watching paint dry, watching Donegal the last couple of weeks. Um, but they, they, they completely turned everything on their head. They, right. Like right from the get-go, you literally saw it. It was amazing. They, I think they won the throw-up, but literally there was there was a there was a kind of a, a a moment in the game, literally in the first minute or so, where I can't remember who got the ball. One of the defenders gets the ball, and he 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 initially looks to turn around to go backwards, and then he kind of remembers, oh, actually, we're not doing that today. And <laughs> he goes forward with the ball. And it was kind of like you could see the, the realization that everyone was like, no, 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 we're actually going to go forward with the ball today. Now, you know what? They lost the game. They were a little bit open at the back. Um, but they tried things on. They, you know, they, they, they took those risks that we were talking about. For the first time in a long time, they were kicking balls into the full forward line, whether it was Murphy in there, McBurty, um, you know, whether it was it, it was it was young Patter Mogan kicking them in. Young O'Donnell, I thought, was very impressive in full forward. He had a, he had a very good game, good young lad. Um, so they, they were trying things. They were running off the shoulder. They weren't going lateral, 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 side to side. Now, it exposed them a little bit at the back, and ultimately it cost them. But actually, you know, I think they had 12 wines, um, a lot of them kickable, to be honest with you. And then the first goal, the Scully goal, was, was, was a really bad turnover, a ball up the sideline. It bounced over one of the Donegal lads' heads and it didn't get back quickly enough. Um, and then the penalty was a bit rash. It probably could have been easy. Now, Dublin could have had one or two other goals. Um, so I'm not saying Donegal should have won the game, but... You know, it was it was a breath of fresh air to see them play like that. On it really was, and I think 
I'm kind of a little bit amazed that Bonner has has waited this long because I would have felt that he needs to find that balance between, you know, 15 behind a ball, lateral slow build up, running at angles, and then this thing that they can do. Like watch the goal that Murphy gets. It's a planned move. It's absolutely executed to the T. It's unbelievably done, you know, and they have that ability. And when they're getting the ball into McBrarty fast and early and Murphy, it's still a massive, massive threat. It definitely feels as if um, we've kind of written Donegal off subconsciously, as if, you know, they've had their chance is the sort of tone I kind of feel sometimes around Donegal and, and certainly maybe, maybe what, what I would think as well. And it does feel that... They're just still there. They're, they're still around. It's just hard to see how they actually get to the next level where if they're in an Ulster final, for example, uh, against a team like Tyrone, that they actually do see that game out or that they do see out a big All-Ireland quarter final if that was a situation that they ever found themselves in. Like, h- How do they manage to, to, to close that gap uh, given that you started to see new things from them yesterday? Yeah, well, the first thing is they need to keep Murphy fit yeah. and they need to keep McBrarty fit. Um, and I know that's a very, very obvious thing to say, but they are just so talismanic. Like, I mean, they are they are they are titans for the team. Um, as I said, McBrarty, you know, won five from play yesterday off Mick Fitzsimons. And Mick has been shutting fellas down for the last number of weeks in an unbelievable fashion. But he was at sixes and sevens yesterday. Uh, McBrarty could have probably had one eight. One nine, even you know, he kicked a couple of wives that you probably would have said, you know, yeah, they were well within his range. Um, Murphy is again; he can float around. You know, he's out there as 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 a midfield option, but he's also out there as a kind of a third midfielder, whereby. Dublin were going long a lot. Michael Shield was in goal yesterday, um, and and he's a very very good goalkeeper. But when he's kicking out to his right, he kind of shifts his his body around, and it's quite an obvious kick. And Murphy was actually standing out to his right a lot as a deterrent, and he was forcing him to kick across his body out to his left. Um, and Donegal are obviously quite big around the middle. Now they have a couple of fellas to come back in there too, which will help. Um, and and you know I think they're they're could could they, could they win an Ulster and could they? You know what? If they keep those lads fit. Um, I, I would have said after last week, I said if they continue to play the way they're playing, they're going to get picked off. You know, they, they'll, they'll get picked off in an 11-9 or 1-10-9 type of a game, you know, and they just they just lose by a couple of scores because they'll keep it tight, but they won't kick much to far end. But actually yesterday gave me an awful lot of hope for them um, and actually said, you know what, they can mix it and they can play plenty of football still. Um, and if guys capable in that forward line of picking up the mantle and just picking up the extra little bits around Murphy and McBurty, they don't have to stand out. They just have to chip in. Like O'Donnell chipped in with two scores yesterday. They have to chip in around that, you know, get two here, one there. And then the transition of keeping it tight at the back, that's something that he's going to have to find. But he probably has four or five, six weeks to find it. So could they do it? You know, I I, I wouldn't fancy them, you know, like, I mean, uh, as in, I wouldn't fancy necessarily playing them if they're playing in that in, in, in the same vein that they were playing yesterday. Right, very encouraging stuff. So from from Donegal, if we're not just looking at the the score, uh, if you rewind then to, to Saturday night, then uh, Mayo against Tyrone, is it leaving Mayo off the hook completely to say, listen, they're safe, they don't care about the league final, they're playing Galway a few weeks after the league final, they probably don't even want to qualify for it, or are you seeing a few deeper issues from from Mayo on Saturday? Yeah, um, six of one, I think. Right. Um, six of one, I think they were. The first 20 minutes, they, they, I think they were still on the bus, to be honest. Like, I mean, they were absolutely asleep. They hardly laid a finger on Tyrone. 
Um, it was really, really casual, um, shockingly casual. Um, and, you know, it's kind of, it's funny, you know, you talked about the Donegal, Tyrone thing, like it, it's kind of gone, like Tyrone are really, we've talked about them in a minute, right, but they're, they're, they're struggling to find themselves um, and they're really struggling. You can see it. You know, there's certain players that, that have just not hit the heights of, of anything like last year. Um, and, and they seem to have some kind of an identity crisis. I don't know what's going on at the moment, but Mayo let them off the hook completely in that first 20, 25 minutes. Like it was five or six points to nothing. Mayo hardly, hardly, as I said, raised the gallop at all. Um, Tyrone should have been further out the gate. Um, and then it was kind of like, Tyrone, Mayo got a little bit annoyed. Tyrone hit them a couple of times and there was a few little, you know, kind of off the ball incidents going on. And Mayo kind of said, you know what, actually, let, let's kind of kick it off here. And next thing then, they started to kind of wind it down. They started to get that power running game coming from midfield with Ruan and Jordan. They started to get their halfbacks into it. Keegan started coming up the field a bit more. Um, but my major worry... And this has been there for a long time. Is their forward prowess and the ability that they have up front? They're still very reliant on 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 that running power from midfield. Their backs getting on the ball, clipping over a few scores. Ruan especially very very reliant on him getting up the field and punching holes and either scoring himself or laying the ball off for a forward to kick on a handy point. But. You know, O'Donoghue is well capable, and I, and I was saying last week, I was mightily impressed with him winning his own ball, taking on his man and kicking scores. He didn't do it as much on Saturday, but he was still probably one of the only major threats. Jason Doherty was very quiet, was well marshaled. Orm, you know, it's it's just not working for him. He's trying hard, but he's just not that killer instinct inside. Uh, young Boland was okay last week, was, was only okay again. You know, they need O'Connor back. They need two O'Connors back, but they certainly need Dermot O'Connor back. And they need him like he was in Crow Park and not last week, where he was a little bit quiet too. So they're struggling up front. I don't think they've scored a goal, and maybe they've only got one in the league. Um, so they're, they're, you know, they're just... They're not kicking big scores. Uh, no, they're not. They're not. They're not giving away much at the far end, but they're not kicking big scores. And, you know, I think... They potentially will meet, obviously, they'll come up against Galway. And Galway are known, obviously, for rattling on big scores if, 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 if you allow them. Um, but Galway have been pretty mean at the back, too, recently. So, you know, you kind of look at it and you say, he's done a great job, Horan, because he's, he's mixed his team every week and he's changed young lads in and he's kind of changed around different positions. Um, and I think he obviously will settle eventually on a very, very strong team. But I'm still, I'm still worried in the last four of an All-Ireland series, have they got the forward ability to, you know, to kick 114-115? And I just, I just don't see it at the moment. So Mayo were disappointing uh, on Saturday. Uh, I guess you said it there yourself, they were on the bus for the, for the first 20 minutes and Tyrone still only scraped past them on the scoreboard at least. So would your concerns for Tyrone actually be, be greater then than, than Mayo after Saturday night? Yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it hasn't changed. Um, P.D. Hart was unbelievable, uh, absolutely phenomenal. He, he, he kind of played kind of centre forward, full forward sometimes in the first half. Um, one ball, kick scores, brought men into it, really led the line well. Um, they had a strong breeze. Myler chipped in with a few nice scores. Canavan again was a threat. 
McShane I thought was quiet um, McKernan has gone unfortunately way back I don't know if the player of the year is weighing around his neck but it was just like I mean the McGeary. guy just doesn't seem to sorry McGeary McGeary sorry sorry yeah I just I just you know it's just, it's just it's just not happening and he's trying hard but it's just not happening and the more he tries it's kind of like it's slipping away from me taking a couple of shots off the outside of his right and it just skewed up in the air um, but for me they seem like a team that are I don't know it's not tired in its own I, I, I don't know what it is it's hard to put my finger on it like I mean they're trying you can see them uh, um, and but it's just not it's just not necessarily clicking for them um, like I mean a post that first 20 minutes like Mayo won the game essentially um, and you know if the, if Mayo had anything about them in the first 20 minutes you would have said actually they could probably take this because Tyrone were lacklustre lacklustre in the second half I just don't think they're being as, as adventurous as, as they were they are quite you know they like to contain the game they like to control the game um, but again as we as we alluded to last week I think the era of that is kind of slowly kind of moving on risk has to be taken and chances have to be taken and kind of you know fellas with the ability to go and do things uh, and do things that you don't expect has to happen and I'm just you're just you're just slightly worried for them honestly um, because they're not in a really really great place at the moment you know they really aren't uh, um, and you know coming into the last day obviously they play Kerry like I mean that's 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 not a great time to be meeting Kerry, <laughs> to be honest with you. Especially if Kerry decide to go full hog. Now they may not, right? Kerry might decide that well, we'll just we'll just we'll kind of we'll rest about three or four players, and that may play into Tyrone's hand. But if Kerry decided, you know what, we want to set a marker down here, um, unlike Mayo, um, well then you know Tyrone could be could be could be in 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 battle shape coming into that uh, Ulster Championship. The relegation picture is absolutely fascinating as we look at next week. You've got Kildare, Donegal and Tyrone all in five points. Dublin and Monaghan currently occupying the relegation spaces on four points. As you mentioned there, it's Kerry against Tyrone. Donegal are hosting Armagh in Letterkenny. I think they should try and move that game to Ballybuffet. They've got a poor record in Letterkenny, don't they? They have a fantastic record in, in Ballybuffet. Mayo are yeah. home to Kildare. Well, at home in inverted commas to Kildare, obviously. Uh, and Monaghan against Dublin in Clonus. That Mayo Kildare game is in Carrick and Shannon, actually, I think. So uh, those are the fixtures for next week. How are you calling it at this moment? Who's who's going down? <sighs> yeah. Uh, I, okay, I'll start with the, my banker, <laughs> which is probably completely wrong. Uh, but I think Dublin will take Monaghan. Monaghan were very poor yesterday. Um, extremely poor. And it wasn't even the fact that Kildare were great. Monaghan were just so lackluster it was unbelievable standing off Kildare men letting them basically do whatever they wanted to do with the ball Monaghan was usually very tight at the back fellas throwing their bodies in you know preventing shots where it was you know Kildare were just one ball in a fella sidestepping hand pass off bang over the bar loads of Monaghan guys in the vicinity but no one really putting any major pressure on the ball or putting their body on their line or tackling or communication. Um, I thought they were quite, they looked They looked like they had done an unbelievable week's work, which they probably didn't do, but they looked very leggy. 
very, very tired, um, you know, devoid of ideas, as I said, and really devoid of any major, you know, get up and go. Um, so that that was a that's that's a big score. Twenty four points is a big, yeah. big score to concede. Like that's 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 a, that's a hammering. You know, um, I don't care what anyone says because that that could have easily been thirty. Do you know what I mean? So I I wouldn't be Dublin are coming, and Dublin are coming with the possibility of remaining in Division One. And from a couple of weeks ago, where they had zero points, they could finish with six. Mm. And they won't want their momentum to be broken with this game. So they're coming up and they're coming in with all guns blazing. You would imagine that they're saying, "Right, this is this is another marker we're going to set down." So I'd fear for Monaghan. I think, you know, Donegal Armagh is going to be a tricky one because McGinney will want to bounce back from the Kerry game. Um, he's probably seeing his momentum curve starting to kind of wane off and he will most definitely want to kind of resurrect that. Um, and that's always, a, that's always a humdinger of a game. You know, it's always a humdinger of a game. And I think Donegal will be interesting. Will they just revert back to type and say, OK, we're locking it down and we're going to shut down the forwards. We're going to shut down O'Neill. We're going to shut and we're going to make it a real dog of a fight. Uh, and we try to pick them off at the far end. Or are, they a bit, are they, or are they a bit more adventurous? I think they need to be adventurous because the one area for Armada that I, would, that I worry about is their full back line and is actually ball in, especially high ball in. So I wouldn't be surprised if Murphy gets in full forward a lot against Armagh and they try to put those diagonal balls into him, him and McBurty. So that's going to be a fascinating game. Um, and, you know, I, if as I said, we're kind of bigging up Donegal a bit, but I wouldn't be surprised. If, if I think they... If they revert back to type, I'd worry for them. If they can marry it, I think they'd be okay. So, you know, you're back to Mayo Kildare. And, Jesus, Kildare for me look like a team who are playing with a smile on their face. You know, there seems to be a brilliant atmosphere around Kildare, around Newbridge. You know, you see what Glenn Ryan is doing and the rest of the management team. There's there's a happiness about it. You know, you'd love to be part of a lot of setups. You'd be saying to yourself, Jesus, you know, I'd love to be part of that setup because... There's guys, as I say, playing with a smile on their face. They seem to be enjoying themselves. They seem to have a common purpose. Um, the management team have them going in the right areas, and they're believing in themselves. On um, and I tell you, they're, they're 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 you know they've been there thereabouts through the whole league. Um, they've really represented themselves well. And will Mayo decide? Ah, you know what? We might play three or four new lads again. Uh, and we'll just kind of we'll taper it off a little bit coming into the Galway game. Um, will they take their chances that they end up in a league final anyway? Um, you know, will they be really that annoyed if they don't make the league final? I don't think he will be. I don't think he will be. I think I think Horan has an idea of where he wants to go, and he knows Galway are sitting there waiting in the wings, and he knows he wants to get ready for that one. So. So what, what what have I answered? Probably nothing. <laughs> I think Monaghan get relegated, but I don't really. I couldn't. I couldn't pin on the second one. I really couldn't. Yeah, yeah. The real plus for Kildare as well is that the magnitude of their win yesterday means they're the only team in the bottom five who have a positive scoring difference. So if there's more than two teams tied, obviously it'll come down to to that, which is a very live possibility. It's going to be a great day's football. That is uh, certainly for sure. Monaghan and A and other is uh, what we're concluding this morning. Yes. Go down to Division 2 next year. Anthony Moyles, great stuff as ever. Thanks a million. No bother, Rowan. Talk to you soon. Cheers. Cheers. Anthony Moyles there looking back on yesterday's football action. It is nine minutes past nine here on Monday morning. Here's what you've got uh, on OTB Sports Radio today. 
We've got OTB Gold, Brian O'Driscoll in conversation with Ethan Nasewa from 1 o'clock. State of the Union, more rugby for you from 3 o'clock. World Cup Revisited on Spain 82 from 4 o'clock. And OTB Gold, Michael Owen's Life After Football is coming up from 6 o'clock. OTB AM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. And Mark Lawrenson is joining us next to talk football. But before that, here is Brian Kerr after our live commentary and off the ball yesterday afternoon of Tottenham's 3-1 win against West Ham. Brian, it was a really exciting match, it must be said, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Plenty of goals, um, but I suppose whatever about the win, putting Tottenham Hotspur really back into that top four race, the style of football, the the manner of that performance this afternoon will really have the supporters of the club buzzing after that game. Yeah, I think um, it was it was a very good performance all around, apart from the concession of a, a, a poor enough set-piece goal. West Ham got very few corners in the game. They didn't, Spurs didn't do it, but they're a good attacking side. That they used their set pieces well, the good delivery. But apart from that, and a, f- a couple of other little moments, Yamalenko had a bit of a chance in the second half. They got in the in- inside, in the, on the left side. M- Michael Antonio in the first half got in off a bad pass back from Harry Kane towards Dyer that was short, and he put it wide. Other than that, Spurs were in, in I would say, nearly total control. The pass from half time was quite even the numbers which surprised me I thought Spurs a lot more passes but in the second half they were dominant in the game and I, I felt that they might get caught through coughing up um, through not taking their opportunities they got a lot of chances to, to finish it off and get two goal lead and it took until the 88 minute for to get them get that but I thought they well deserved the third goal good football played well and particularly impressive in the from the midfield up into the attacking positions and um, yeah a bit of hope there I think for sports fans yeah and I suppose the interesting thing is that you know, you could look at this. We could talk all day about their strikers. We know they've got brilliant goal scorers. That's never been a problem for Tottenham Hotspur. It was always what was going on behind them. And as we mentioned in in the game, we've been talking about it since. They've made some really good signings there. Kulievsky to back up the two lads up front. They've got Bentancourt in the middle, and then Romero then playing uh, in that centre back trio. So the team seems to be coming together now. You know, is that kind of enough to take Tottenham, do you think, into the top four places? Of course, they've got a really tough challenge against Arsenal, um, who are also going for it, and Manchester United as well. We've seen from Arsenal, they've got a bit of character and guts in that team now as well. Well, with the performance today, they showed that they're capable of winning all the games they have left. One of those games against Liverpool away, I think. And uh, But, but the, the, the way they played against Manchester City when they won the game 3-2 showed that they, they can do it against the best of teams. But the lack of consistency would also suggest here that you know the next couple of games, Newcastle, they, who knows? They played as well as they did today. They could beat New, should beat Newcastle and Aston Villa next match. Then I think they've got Brent and they've got they've got a, a lot of matches against teams that you'd say yeah Burnley some of them are scrapping near the bottom but they have the quality but it's just whether they can produce the consistency of performance to do it I, I don't I don't think they'll catch Arsenal I think they'll need to get something uh, do something exceptional to catch mm. Arsenal and I don't think they're capable of that I don't think they've had the consistency 
uh, that Arsenal seem to be finding apart from losing the match with Liverpool when they played very well during the week um, they they have seem to have got themselves together and have found a pattern of play that works for them and Spurs are, are just getting there but they're still not not anywhere near near consistent enough and you've only to look back a couple of weeks to find those results they lost to Middlesbrough in the Cup lost to Burnley in the league lost to Southampton you know um, they just they're, 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 they're let's say they're, they're really an up and down team but they seem to be finding a bit of form but I think it's going to be too late to have a major impact on this season just as you mentioned Arsenal there that game against uh, Aston Villa yesterday very impressive performance grinding out a 1-0 win after being beaten by Liverpool after a superb first half performance in that particular game and it is just noticeable I remember doing their first match of the season against Chelsea went 2-0 down they could have really capitulated in that match but they, they fought hard to make sure they didn't lose by a big, a big margin they did get hammered by City a couple of weeks later but they've showed some great character, great determination, something that's been lacking in an Arsenal team for a long, long time, you'd have to say, Brian. And uh, that must be impressing you as well. As well. Um, yeah, I think that the manager has, has finally started to make headway. He's made some big decisions. Obviously, the Obama-Yang one, I thought that needed to be made for a good while. I remember going back to their performances in the Europa League last year which were very mixed but I thought Obama Yang as the captain was a bit of a disaster in those games didn't set the tone for the rest of the team with a proper walk rate and uh, um, real any sort of aggression or intent or passion I thought so you know I think that has worked out to be a good move they seem to have got the, the centre back situation sorted out Tierney has always been playing well in the full back position anyway uh, Suarez has gone in at the right back position now the, the Japanese lad is out injured and the, the, the solid the goalkeeper has had a very good season even if he let in a soft goal against Liverpool maybe the first goal was the goal on the near post yeah. Yeah, it was. but other than that he, he, he's been exceptionally good and you know I wondered when they signed him I said has he been that good at Sheffield United that you're saying he'd be good enough for Arsenal but he's proved to be the case he's probably the best best uh, English goalkeeper yeah. uh, available at the moment I think he's in better form than Pickford which but, but you know the, the the youth in their team and the system. Partey has found his way. Grant Saka is playing slightly different, more advanced on the left side of the three in the midfield. Odegaard, um, you know, young Saka obviously scored a goal yesterday. He's been really, really good. And Martinelli on the other side, like I said, a different position, playing off, drop deep, uh, false nine, whatever you want to call it. But it, it seems to be working for them very efficiently. You look fresh, and they're they're in good shape and in good form and they looked the most likely to make that top four position for me uh, just to finish then on the team the loss today Brian West Ham United um, you know I know you were saying that David Moyes you know he will be going for both competitions the Premier League and the Europa League he won't be uh, trying to pull back but the, the, the squad is being stretched now with those injuries it could get worse from he doesn't really have a deep squad as it is 
and you know the Europa League you, you, you throw I know people are suggesting that you throw his lot in with that competition but you know the draw hasn't really worked out too well for them Lyon you'd expect them maybe to beat a team that's struggling in Ligue 1 in France but then they come up against either Eintracht Frankfurt or Barcelona a lot of people favouring Barcelona in that tie because of their resurgence under Xavi and that would be a massive challenge for West Ham if they were to get to a semi-final yeah well look they're, they're in it they're delighted to be in it the passion was in the stadium transferred to the team um, on tours and I, I I covered the game I Sam played very well and I was delighted for them I was delighted for David Moyes he's had his tough times as a manager going back over the last number of years he was out of work for a good while on, on, on two or three occasions but the other night he enjoyed it and it, 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 he's certainly done a real job at West Ham so I wouldn't I wouldn't underestimate their ability to beat Leon. and if they beat Leon, I think it's possible they could beat Barcelona aren't by any means the real deal they have um, they've improved Obama Yang has gone there from Mars and he scored a few goals of the young players in the middle of the field Pedri and Gavi these players really really clever players um, but they're still vulnerable defensively Busquets still holding the middle of the field I, 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 I look at I think West Ham have a chance. They're a team, they're what top six, top seven team in the Premier League at the moment. Barcelona are back in the top four in um, in, in 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 Spain, but but they've had a they've had a very very mixed season to say the least. Um, and while they look like they're improving. I, well, look, let's wait and see. But it's a good position for West Ham to be in. I think it's going to be difficult for them. I don't think they're going to make the top four. Mm. And whether they be content to keep in the top six or seven, so be it. They've got a, they've got a tough enough programme left in terms of the, the Premier League. There's some difficult matches. The Everton match was a vital match for Everton before they played Leon. But um, I, I, I think it's, anything is possible for West Ham in this competition. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. OTB. It's 20 past nine. You're very welcome back. Mark Lawrence is standing by. But before that, just to tell you about our competition, get ready to cheer Ireland on in the TikTok Women's Six Nations. To launch this year's campaign, we are giving away two tickets to see Ireland take on Wales on Saturday, the 26th of March at 4.45 at the RDS Arena. The lucky winners will also be entered into a draw to be in with a chance to win an overnight stay in the stunning Intercontinental Hotel on the night of the game. To enter this competition... Tell us what you think the score will be this weekend between Ireland and Wales. Whatever you're watching this morning on OTBAM, you can comment on Twitter or on Facebook or on YouTube. International Women's Rugby is at the RDS and there is nothing like it. Be part of the action. Get your tickets at ticketmaster.ie. Mark Lawrenson, good morning to you. Good morning. Plenty to get stuck into over the course of the weekend's talking points. We might actually start with Everton. The the hammering they took at the hands uh, of Crystal Palace yesterday isn't going to impact the Mumbit in their uh, fight for for survival. That is the main thing they care about. Obviously, they don't care too much about the, the cup. But you look at Frank Lampard's comments after the game yesterday. And, I mean, he's saying that there's only so much you can do to try to butter somebody up to get their confidence you're playing at the cutthroat end of football he said this is the FA Cup quarterfinals if you haven't got the confidence to play you can flip it and say have you got the bollocks to play apologies but that's the football term is he right to be questioning the cojones of his players yeah for some of them absolutely but you know what I mean I watched the whole game and after 25 minutes if you'd said to me Palace are going to win this 4-0 honestly there Mm. was no chance they were really competitive Everton, and they started off a, a really high level as well. Tackles flying in, etc. And you kind of thought, wow, you know, the win 
he got obviously against Newcastle has, has done them all sorts of good but back to the royal failings basically as soon as Crystal Palace started to get hold of the ball and uh, started to use a width and the pace defensively they're all over the place Everton they're very very ordinary and it was almost at one stage as though you were expecting for Palace to score and run away with it and that's that's his problem. There's, there's not a lot else he can do. He, he keeps changing the team around. He keeps changing the system. But I, I, I don't, honestly, even at the end of the match at a 4-0 and it looks awful as well, I kind of thought, well, you know what? He's, he's got enough players there who have given it a, a right go. There's just one or two of them who, who can't really play the way he wants to play, which is in, in the face or in your face football in terms of the opposition. Are the problems in terms of the playing personnel at Everton a lot worse than maybe Frank Lampard actually expected because what you're saying there is a team that yeah. just isn't good enough to compete with Crystal Palace. Yeah. Well, listen, by the way, don't underestimate Crystal Palace. Of course. Bear has done a fab job. Some yeah. of the players he's got, the boy at the back who's just gone in the England squad, is it, is it Gray? Yeah. And that's his name. There's Gallagher. When you see Gallagher playing yesterday, there's always like the World Cup final. Eze, Alisi, obviously Zaha, they're a really, really good side and, and a really nice nice team to watch as well. And very much, you know, as people would say nowadays, on the front foot. But I think, you know, you look at Holgate and, and those all the players he's got at the back, Frank Lampard, he must have thought, uh, they may be just having a bad time. They've all got a mistake in them. The goalkeeper's got a mistake on them. Mistake in them. I mean, he changed them the other day, didn't they? But uh, he, he, then he's come back in. So... He probably looks at his squad now, I think. Crikey. So, if they finish fourth bottom, he'll be delighted. Yeah, it's a massive summer rebuild then. Listen, they've already spent half a billion. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, look, you know, as a boy with it every week, I'm on recruitment. I mean, they've had so many different people in charge of head of recruitment. Um the owner's had his say in it and everything. And I, and I know from the lads who live near me who, who work for the football club, just say, well, in all honesty, you speak to the, the owner about football and he, he knows very, very little, but it's a classic case of obviously it's it's, it's his little baby and, and obviously he wants to dress it up whichever way he wants to do. I think, you know, as well, if you really look at it, the, the new stadium, the building of that, which is ongoing, that must be in doubt because I'm not even sure where they're going to get the money from. So, yeah, recruitment-wise, it's a, an absolute... Massive summer for them if they stay up, but it's a big if at the moment. Uh, let's flip over to uh, the other side of Liverpool and uh, Liverpool FC, who had a good win yesterday. I don't think anybody mm. was expecting this to be too easy for them, especially going to Nottingham Forest and some of the scalps that they've taken this year in the FA Cup. And Klopp still manages to make a couple of changes. They have the lion's share of the ball, maybe not a whole pile of chances this time, and they get the job done. I think that's kind of the ideal situation for him going into the international break. Yeah, well, that's what that's what he's done, you know. In the last, it might be five or six games, keep making these these changes. I, mean, I think Milan away. I certainly remember West Ham at home. Um, you know, or, or Arsenal as well. And that's because he has he has everybody virtually virtually everybody's fit. There's just one or two little knocks hanging around, apart from them. Trent Alexander Arnold now, of course, and he and he can almost pick two teams. And what he has them, of course, with making the making the uh, the changes, fresh legs, but you know, star, star players, top players are coming on to play. You saw that yesterday with Thiago and Henderson, etc. So 
it's good for them. And just going back to everything, I don't want Everton to go down. I think you know it's a big thing having the Mersey Derby and both teams in obviously in, in the in the Premier League. But Liverpool um, rode the luck. I mean, the boy, the boy should have scored. I can't pronounce his name, I've, but he, he he should have scored. It was a fabulous chance just before um, Liverpool scored, and Liverpool would have gone out. But you know, the, the ball's running for them as well a little bit. But they were impressive. Um, Nottingham Forest. I mean, the three boys on loan, Ankis Johnson, uh, Spence, and the other one, Garner. They look good players. They'll all go back to the parent clubs and get sold in the summer to the teams in the Premier League. But Liverpool have just got to keep going. He'll all he'll be doing now, Jurgen will be just he'll be waiting for the phone to ring or a text to go. And you know, I've done my hamstring playing for Colombia against whoever you know, and all those kind of things. So. Um, He'll probably, he'll probably get away on holiday, but he'll, he'll have his phone on. Don't worry about that. That's for sure. It, it, it's very much nitpicking when it comes to trying to find any issues in the Liverpool squad. One of those mm. things might have been your backup fullbacks at the start of the season. If any of them went down, who would fill in? And Simicast obviously started the season and played really, yeah. really well in the field. Okay, well, that's the left side of the defence sorted. The question still remained, what happened if Trent Alexander-Arnold went down? Joe Gomez obviously played there yesterday. That feels like a stopgap rather than uh, a long-term solution. Um, well, you know, when he first came into the team under Brendan Rodgers, I think he played left-back, if I'm memory serves me right. So <clears throat> I don't have an issue with him. I, th- I think I think he's a better defender than Trent. He obviously doesn't give you what Trent gives you going forward, but that's not a great issue in, in Liverpool's team because you know they've got so many creative players anyway. So no, I don't I don't see that as a great problem. Right. Uh, Tim Simicas as well, he, he's you know he's two footy, he could play right back if you really wanted him to. I think the problem is is Canate is learning and we know he's going to be good and, you know, great physique, etc. quick enough. I just think defensively, if you watch yesterday and you watched uh, West Ham as well, he, he disappears at times from his position. And, you know, as good as Van Dijk is, he can't, he's not the, he can't put his finger in the dike every time something happens. So it's something that Canart is um, learning. And they've got Matip anyway there to play, haven't they? So it's not a great issue, but and he will only get better. But, to be beaten on a regular basis just with a ball through a mid, through the middle is not good. And I'm sure Jürgen knows that. But Canati's just learning, I'm afraid. But fortunately, yesterday, they got away with a couple of issues like that. Like, I guess the, the wider point here is about the players that, that can come in and do a really good job for Liverpool. And despite mm. all the money that Manchester City, if we compare it with them, have spent, it does feel as if they're dependent on a, on a tighter group of players than Liverpool currently are at. And we can't forget it that they're both fighting on the same amount of fronts at the moment. Yeah, I think, and I think we're probably talking attacking players, aren't we? Yeah. Um, you know, in, in, in all honesty, because when you look at who Liverpool can, can bring on, it makes such a difference. Um, you know, the regular front three, you know, Mane and, and, and Salah and whether it's Jota or Firmino. Uh, and then you got Luis Diaz as well that com- comes on. So, look, you know, they're all worthy of a place in the team and it's great for the manager because the two he leaves out, the two he leaves out are just warming up for 90 minutes, like right past his face as, as in, right, I'm ready to go as soon as you decide. So, they're in a great place, aren't they? They're in a very, very good place. Unbeaten for a long time. You know, take away the Inter Milan thing, obviously, which we still got through. So confidence will, will be sky high, not getting carried away. But as I say, it's now this this big long week for managers, especially like the likes of Clark, where 
they're just hoping and praying that nobody comes back with a hamstring or a calf strain or, or all those, or actually something worse. I think the interesting thing about Trent's injury, just saying he'll be out for weeks, which in clock language, it might that sounds to me like it might be at least a month or so. Right. You, you don't think? I he... mean, he, do, he normally he would say to you if if, if, the, if the medical people say in two weeks. It would go, yeah, well, we should, be, we should have him back two weeks of his training. He's just saying weeks, which normally means um, more than weeks, as in months. But I hope, I hope I'm wrong. You don't think he's just saying, please don't pick him for the international team? No, well, he's, cause he, no he's injured, isn't he? I mean, he, he probably got injured because flipping Martinelli was twisting and turning him all sorts of different ways mm. in the Arsenal game. But no, I don't, I don't no, he's... The other thing about picking and playing for England, he probably wouldn't play anyway. Yeah. So Klopp would probably think, go and have a, do a bit of training and have a rest and get your feet up. Happy days. Uh, if we flip over to the Premier League then, uh, Tottenham Hotspur's form has been really interesting over the last little while. It's gone win-loss, win-loss for, for, I think, eight games in a row now. It's been a perfect pattern. They beat West Ham United to keep that pattern going yesterday on a 3-1 scoreline. And it feels, uh, granted they haven't put managed to put back-to-back wins together, it does feel that there's real momentum at the moment behind the Spurs team, that they're, they are the ones who could really make a charge and they're the ones who could really knock Arsenal off that fourth spot. Yeah, well, we... They, uh, we call them Spursy. They, they sometimes go very Spursy, don't they? And go and get beat like a, a Burnley away and, and and those kind of places. You just don't really know with them because they are so reliant, obviously, on, on Kane outstanding against against today and, and Son. So I'm I'm afraid it's a bit watch this space. I mean, they've got some very very good players, but you know, another three or four games winning on the trot, and I would say to you, yeah, but. Spurs, it's 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 a way that they are. They, they blow hot and cold, and um, I thought actually as well talking about that the, the, the chase for fourth. I thought Arsenal would get beaten, Villa, but they completely controlled the game, and um, I thought it was just one of those. Especially having get gotten beat to Liverpool and, and yeah. going to Villa, who, who fire at home, they really give you a, 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 an education and examination. And I thought they struggled, but they completely controlled the game and. Obviously, listening to Brian there, what he was saying as well, he's got it right, Oteta. It's it, they look a, a really good side now. So it's just a matter of keep playing and, and hopefully keep win, keep winning. I still think they they will be favourites. Although I've not really looked at the uh, the fixtures for either Tottenham or for Arsenal, so I wouldn't really know who or when they've got to play teams. Yeah, Arsenal, uh, good in the short term, but still have Manchester United. They have Spurs, which will obviously be a massive game. And they have Chelsea left to play as well. So uh, a mixed uh, fixture list for, for both of them. Just just on that Arsenal point, just to finish up, St- Steven Gerrard was uh, it was in a bad mood after the game, I think it's fair to say. Uh, Bakayo <laughs> Saka uh, I mean, was, uh, was tackled by Tyrone Mings during the game. Studs were up. A lot of Arsenal fans thought Mings should have been sent off. Steven Gerrard came out afterwards and says, the boy's got a man up basically last time I checked it's a no contact sport I think tackles are allowed I think aggression is allowed I think physicality is allowed he's a good player but he can't complain about that side that's football and he mentioned the amount of screws yeah. that he's got in his hips uh, Steven Gerrard and all that is he right uh, Gerrard or, or has the game changed oh it's changed but he's right, it's, right. It's, it's, they're both it could, because you know you've got, you've got to be competitive I mean crikey he's the most competitive competitive player ever at, at, at Liverpool um, and in training and everything, and I think I think he probably, as I was thinking, thinking you know Arsenal have come in back of a defeat, get into them early, you know get get a goal. Obviously, I mean goalkeeper was out, wasn't he? Mm. Uh, Martinelli was out. 
as well. So you're thinking, we score one here, we might get two or three. <clears throat> and I think he was just disappointed the fact that his players never really had the same idea in terms of when they played and it was a bit after you clawed. So, um, and st- the, uh, the interview was funny because cause the lad who, Des Kelly, is a big Liverpool fan. And he's a massive Steven Gerrard fan. And I couldn't stop laughing, but he, he had the hump, which you know what? what? You're allowed to. And I hope, I hope he transferred the hump onto the players because... Um, Obviously, they're away now, so they won't get the wrath of his tongue probably until until he get that ready for the next um, Premier League game. But that's that 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 that's the way it is, and you know it's it's um, it's interesting the way they're, they're running Aston Villa because really the, the the guy, the main coach, he he is I can never remember his name. I'm sorry, but he he just he coaches all the time, and I think Stephen and and uh, and Macker on the, on the sidelines are. They they are very they're watching and obviously saying different stuff. But the, but the coaching's left to, to one man basically for the first team, and it worked for them at Rangers, and I think eventually it will work for them. At Villa, if they finish in the top ten, you know it's a big thing for for Villa. And the shouts over here at the moment are that they look a favourite to sign Phillips and Leeds for about sixty million in the, in the summer. Well, he'll make your team better, won't he? Yeah, that's for sure. Does Jurgen Klopp know that Des Kelly is a Liverpool fan? Because that always tends to be the the head to head. Um, prob- probably, yeah, probably. I mean, he, he wouldn't know it like all of us because, you know, mm. I mean, Des Kelly was around when we were playing, so, and he went on all our trips to Europe, etc. So, um, yeah, yeah, possibly. I think, I don't know, Klopp, you know, about two months ago, I looked at Klopp and thought he looks a bit peed off, but um, he's completely changed now. And, I mean, he's, he's absolutely talking about the world and his wife, and you can ask him any question, it would appear at the moment. And, and and he's obviously got a view on it. So, yeah. you know, he's, he he must be in such... Well, he is, because he said the other week that, in terms of happy space, he said the other week, he said, look, to, to have all these players and the quality of these players fit at this stage of the season is massive. I mean, City have got it as well, haven't they? Obviously, they just wish they hadn't, but um, City, City have got it as well. See, that, and that was another thing I said, I don't know if you saw any of the City game, but, but Southampton had a... Fantastic chance to make it to each. Absolutely fantastic chance. Hit it straight at the goalkeeper and either side of him, it, it goes to two two. And it's it's amazing football when when things are running for you, they really do run for you. Yeah, that's for sure. Mark, good stuff. Thanks so many for joining that's us. It. That's all right. Mark Lawrence and there on the line looking back on the weekend's Premier League and FA Cup action. You've been with us here on OTBAM, which has been brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We should say congratulations to Will Maxwell. You've won a Gillette Labs shaving kit this morning on OTBAM for your performance ranking shout on our Instagram page. You can join us tomorrow morning, Tuesday's OTBAM from half past seven, where we're talking to Irish hurdler Sarah Lavin, who finished in the World Athletics Finals in Belgrade. And there'll be more rugby and hurling as well. Uh, congratulations as well to Cahill Cole, our daily winner today of the pair of tickets uh, to Ireland Wales in the TikTok Women's Six Nations this Saturday at the RDA. You're also in the draw for our overnight stay in the Intercontinental Hotel. We'll give you another chance to enter the draw tomorrow morning here on the show. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.